I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 236 with Stellium 7, Titan Blood, adventurer, researcher, philosopher. Join the team as we get to know Mike, whether it's resets, giants, fractals or mud floods. This Virgo has lots under his cap to divulge for sure. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to meet you officially. Um, it's one of these internet things where I think uh rafael um cross-pollinated with some other people like rodrigo turned on to you and then he said let's get you on so here you is uh something we do at the beginning of these episodes is correspond the number which in this case is 236 is that right or what was it yes here we are yeah 236 yeah uh that reduces down to 11 which is two the high priestess I offer up the mysteries of life. The high priestess is about trusting your intuition, listening to your inner guides, understanding yourself better, listening to the music of the universe and allowing your creative ideas, ideas to germinate. Uh, Raphael, what card do you have? We have the angel number 50 of eloquence belonging to the principalities. This angel helps us to distinguish the possible from the impossible. It is associated with the Eight of Wands, the affirmation goes, I will release procrastination and just begin. That's a good one. And angel qualities include eloquence, great capacity to communicate and inspire, efficient, well thought out structuring, goodness, harmony, beauty, and speech that attenuates the rigor of truth. Right on. <laughs> I was going to say, that's quite a bit there. Uh, uh, we just entered Gemini season. I know you're a Virgo, so you're also ruled by Mercury. So it's a heavily Mercury uh, time right now. Um, what, if anything, between the High Priestess and that angel uh, resonated for you? Well, the High Priestess with intuition and uh, you know synchronicity, providence, the, those kinds of things have been very important to me throughout my life and have been um, the little taps on the shoulder and nudges that have led me along to all kinds of different unusual experiences and discoveries. And, and uh, as I've tried to show in the videos on my channel, there, there are a long string of interesting synchronicities that have, that have occurred as I've started to, to question different things throughout my life. So um, yeah. And the other, what was it? The synchronous, Oh, the, um, Eloquence, well thought eloquence. out structuring <laughs> and speech that attenuates the rigor of truth. So, <laughs> and like knowing right. what's real and not, right? Uh, we're going to be talking about some probably heady stuff, probably. Um, Discernment. Really yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> 
So how do you know um, truth? So well, that's that's what the, the, when we started the podcast, it wasn't my idea. Rafael was kind of like, we, we had had conversations and he's like, let's record this, I guess. Um, and I was kind of asking some of the first ones, I don't know if they're up there or not, but some of the first just me and him talks were like, how do we know, you know, epistemological kind of questions. Like, how do we know what to trust? What's, you know, what is truth? How can we, you know, in a postmodern kind of thing? So these are real important questions and it's tricky, tricky turf because, you know, one man's genius is another man's madness or whatever, right? So... Um, I'm know. very prepared to uh, enter into domains that I haven't explored much. Um, feel free. Well, no, I, <laughs> we were talking about synchronicity. I think that's a good place to start maybe. But I, before we jump into that, um, I'm curious about you personally. So tell us as much or as little as you'd like um, You know about where you grew up. I think you were saying California, uh, the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you kind of start tapping into magic, sync, synchronicity, um, maybe noticing things that the other half don't see so much, so to say? Well, yeah. Um, well, just for starters, I've been in Europe now for 25 years. So I've spent almost as much time in Europe as I have in, in the States. Uh, but I did grow up in Southern California and um, grew up in a little town called Ojai, which is about uh, 90 minutes up the coast from L.A. And then you turn right and head inland towards the mountains. And it's this beautiful little valley that's created by cradled by mountains on all sides and it's like a uh, new age enclave thing ish right very much so yeah and in fact uh you know there's been a lot of different uh, spiritual teachers throughout the years that have that have uh, made that a regular stop in their in their tours of the u.s like krishnamurti was that was uh, a main spot for him uh there's a place called the ojai foundation i think terence mckenna spoke there a number of times there's a a big uh, theosophical society group that's there so there's a lot of um, alternative thinkers and esotericism. And so I, I was raised, uh, with my, my mother and my stepfather were both very much, uh, alternative, uh, people <laughs> as far as, uh, their lifestyles and, and their thinking. Uh, I grew up, I suppose you could say I grew up in the rabbit hole because, uh, nothing about my upbringing or reality was ever normal by by other people's standards so um i i've always you know been been different in in uh my thinking and my uh interaction with with the world around me and my mother was a uh new age thinker as far as like a yoga teacher she was an astrologer she studied astrology from before i was born and as I started to grow up, I was, you know, where other kids were learning other things. I was learning about things like astrology and the tarot. And um, at one point, she was a book buyer for New Age bookstores. So she was, as I hit my teens and became more and more interested in, in life and the world, um, you know, she was feeding me all kinds of different books that that uh, interested me. So, yeah, it was... Um, I was there until my teens. I moved to Hawaii. I lived in, in the Seattle area for a number of years and, and then uh, came to Europe in 97 as an exchange student when I was studying at the University of California. Uh, I started as a philosophy major. And then when I went to Italy, um, when I got there, the, I, I studied at the second oldest university in Italy in, in Padova and um, very incredible experience and got to see a lot of the old world and travel all over Italy. That's where I met my, my partner 
she and I've been together now for 25 years <laughs> and she's uh, she's a Swede. So after a few years living in Italy, I moved up to Sweden where I lived for 10 years and we started a family up there. We have two kids. And uh, after a couple of years in Sweden, I was doing a lot of soul searching. And after having done a lot of different professions, uh, I was looking for something where I could use my mind and my hands and I wasn't going to be in front of a computer all day long. And that ended up uh, through through a series of uh, slips and falls and wrenching my back and hurting myself and being helped by chiropractors. I decided I wanted to go in that direction. And um, so that was another five years of study. And then after that, a couple of years of um, working in Sweden before moving to Spain, where we've been for 10 years now. So <laughs> bounced, bounced around a lot over the last couple of decades. Round, round, get around. I gotta... You do have Mars in ninth house Sagittarius. I mean, in, and it's in the... with your MC. So it's like, you're going to travel. Like, come on. In the Gokelen sector. <laughs> Uh, so I'm curious, what part of Spain are you in right now? Um, in the Costa Blanca region, basically cool. like between, um, Valencia and Alicante on, okay. the coast, on, the on the Mediterranean side, about five okay. hours South of, of Barcelona. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's a dope country. Great people. I'm glad you've, uh, found your way expatriated. Well, it seems like, you know, you haven't been living in a cardboard box. So good job. Um, and I have lived in Hawaii in Oahu for a while. So, um, Island life, totally get it. But yeah, just looking at your charts, like, of course you're going to be traveling a lot with, uh, <laughs> Mars and Sedge, uh, 9,000. Right. So, um, in any event, uh, just a couple things. And before about we started recording, uh, you asked yeah. me about the channel name Stellium. Yeah, so exactly. You, you've, you've seen my chart there. So, you've um, got a whole lot in Virgo in seventh house Virgo. You, yeah, it's actually <laughs> spread across two signs, but but five planets in, in the seventh house. And uh, seven has always been my favorite number. Um, so Stellium saying is, is how it happened. And, and also, um, I don't know if you're, have you ever heard of the sacred symbols of the ancients? You mean like the flower of life and stuff? No, it's a, uh, it's a book that came out by someone named Edith Randall in Florence. Somebody, I can't remember her last name, but... It's a system uh, that my father taught me when I was growing up that was a blend of uh, astrology, tarot, and numerology all in, in one system. It's very fascinating. And, no, it sounds um, exactly each, like what we like. <laughs> each birthday is uh, associated with a card. And we're talking about the minor arcana, not the major arcana. So the, the, uh, my, my card is the seven of clubs. And uh, so, you know, if you have the... They, they, I don't know how it was broken down and the mathematics were all worked out, but it's a very old system um, that uh, I think was brought forth by the order of the Magi or Magi. I don't know how you pronounce them, but uh, very, very fascinating. And uh, that's, yeah, that's where the seven came from because my card number is seven. Actually, the thing you, you were reading at the beginning broke down to eight of eight of wands, which is right. eight of clubs. And, Interestingly enough, the Eight of Wands was my father's card, uh, and and it, it was also my partner's father's card, and uh, so the, this is where like synchronicity and and you start to see patterns and overlaps, and you draw certain people into your life that aspect with your your chart in certain ways, and uh, so I'm the Seven of Clubs, my partner is the Seven of Clubs, my son is the Seven of Clubs, 
her mom is the seven of clubs <laughs> and both it's of like our fathers are, both of our fathers yeah. are the eight of clubs my mom is the king of clubs and my daughter is the ten of clubs so it's like when you start to look at the odds of that mathematically that you know there's 52 cards <laughs> in the deck 50 you know so anyway it's Highly interesting uh, just, just a little aside as you mentioned that and if you combine the three disciplines let's say so you said numerology tarot and astrology and the way that one of my favorite researchers michael tessarian whom you may be aware of likes to combine I've seen a video or two of his a long time ago but nothing's fresh in my mind i've heard the name many times yeah so anyway the fourth discipline he adds into this is kabbalah whatever then this may mean again and aside from right. that i can just say well thank you for uh, recognizing this type of synchronicity you know this is how we like to flow <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure like juice, just, the, just the mention of the word Kabbalah would probably freak out half of my subs um, on, on my channel, um, as, as would a lot of this talk about astrology and, and these other things, because a lot of the work that I've done uh, ties in with the Bible and Christianity and the Book of Enoch in different ways, which I never would have okay, anticipated. Okay. So, and I've been interviewed by... Um, like SGT report uh, for the the research that I've done, and he's very much a Christian. And uh, had I'm a, a Christian following. for the record. Uh, I don't. Oh, you are? Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. My grandparents started Tim Keller's church up in uh, Manhattan, Redeemer Presbyterian. Um, I mean, not that that matters. I spent you know time in Labrie, Switzerland, Francis Schaeffer's kind of thing as a helper. Uh, you know, reading everything from just all sorts of questions and weird shit I was asking. I'm I'm a Christian. That's the funny. I it might not come off that way. I, I'm sure I've done a lot of psychedelic i mean let's put it this way compared to christians like you're a pagan new ager fuck you you're going to hell and then new agers are like stop mentioning jesus so it's like i'm somewhere kind of yeah the it's yeah that but no okay so i'm truth I'm book of enoch. <laughs> yeah exactly the book of enoch is crazy. we're gonna go down some rabbit holes now that i know you're into that kind of stuff because most people aren't if that's your channel and subscriber that's crazy uh that's because that's my like that's where I'm coming from more. And I think I found some middle ground, whereas Raphael is like, he's in Vienna, like a Christian nation, quote unquote, but he's post-Christian. He wasn't raised, you know, with a text or, a, you know what I mean? Like, well, I, I can't for you, Raphael, but I, don't, I think he's like post-Christian in that sense. Um, so it's fascinating. I'm like, holy shit, that's what you guys are on? Word. Well, I'm uh, not even baptized, if that counts. So here you go. Well, to some people <laughs> that matters a lot. To me, it doesn't matter at all. But um I actually did that in Hawaii as an adult on Easter, ironically, uh, you'd find, because you've been in Hawaii. I was like, oh, yeah, because the year before, I had uh, lost my virginity to a hooker in Hawaii on Easter night. It was a horrible, magical, synchronistic event. In any event, to me, TMI. Was it a there, birthday present, or did you pay? Uh, no, I paid. I was wasted. I was 25, and I was like, I'm a quarter of a century years old, and I'm, I mean, it's complicated. I'm talking quite too much about myself. Um, sorry. But basically, I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to die a virgin. I didn't think I was going to die, but it's like, uh, and ironically, you're into astrology. I have a Venus aspect going straight through Oahu. So it's not surprising. I like became an addict there. I lost my virginity there. Excessive like life stuff, like, you know, pleasure. Um, in any event, enough about me. Um, let's talk about you. So you're growing up there. You, you float over to Europe. I mean, I want to touch on a lot of things. Um, have you been a Christian the whole time? Uh, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not a Christian. That's, uh, oh, that's the that's thing is, is, uh, yeah, no, I, the, well, my grandmother who I was extremely close with, she was a Christian throughout my whole upbringing and, but she wasn't a Bible thumper and she wasn't trying to convert me to her faith. She just had a strong belief in God. 
always went to church and was a Bible believer her whole life. But she and my mom were oftentimes at odds because of very different worldviews. My mom, uh, and as as uh, did I, was turned off um, very much by um, fundamentalism. And, and uh, you know, when you start to dig into Christianity and Catholicism and, and the world history, as I got into my late teens and, and read more and more books, I started to realize that, wait a minute, people are like, starting wars in Jesus's name. They didn't listen much to what he had to say, did they, you know? So I was kind of turned off by organized religion in general. And uh, I didn't, I I just couldn't for the life of me uh, believe or imagine that the Bible was the work of God. It just seemed like a a tool for tyrants and, and something that, you know, had undergone so many translations and manipulations down throughout history that You'd have to be a fool to to like take it as the word of God and and uh, that it was this archaic text. And I had all kinds of ideas about cosmology and Big Bang and was into quantum physics and and philosophy. And I I always had really a syncretic approach to living because that's how I was raised. Um, Both of my parents were followers of Indian gurus, different gurus. (laughs) Um, And. owned a, a health food store in my hometown that that also had a little vegetarian restaurant and a new age bookstore that it was all this beautiful little place called solar winds <laughs> uh, which is no longer there but that um, was kind of an epic place back then um, and my stepfather was was a uh, part of a, a collective of people who were followers of an Indian guru named Swami Muktananda and they they started the health food store and then they they had a little commune and an ashram. So I, I lived for a year in an ashram when I was like 11 or 12, a really tiny ashram. But it was, it was you know, a group of people who were very devout followers. And they'd get up with, at dawn and sit in the room chanting with their sitars and, and uh, you know, the little air organ. And, and so meanwhile, I'm, you know, lying in the sleeping bag on, <laughs> on the bed on the floor listening to this, I still remember some of the chants just because I heard them so many times um, as I was sleeping. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so that was an unusual upbringing and, um, and it really led me to, to, um, to, to kind of back away from anyone who was like fundamental and fundamentalists and their thinking. And this is the truth. This is the way, this is the one book, you know, and, no, I uh, totally concur. So what now it's all come full circle where I'm like, holy moly, maybe there's something to it all. <laughs> well, that's the mind fuck. I, yeah, like there's sink heads um, who would get into aliens and stuff. And I would start talking about Nephilim and fallen angels and stuff. And they didn't have any cultural context that not that I think aliens have to be demons or fallen angels necessarily. But I'm like, that that's a potential in my book, I guess you could say. Um, what's what's on your channel that's driving people toward uh, of, you know, you were saying half your followers are, you know, I guess you could say Christian or Christian or what? Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the topic that is drawing them to you? Well, the research that I've done really, it's like two different completely areas of research that intertwine, uh, but they're completely separate discoveries. I started with one that, that was a, a crazy um, realization or epiphany that um, a mountain here in this region that I live in could potentially be, a titan. <laughs> it sounds it sounds absurd to people who aren't familiar with my work or 
Um, you know, well, don't I overthink studied, it. I have studied geology and believe in the Big Bang and believe that we're, you know, on a four billion plus year old spinning planet. And, and, you know, they have a whole set of beliefs. And so something like Titans couldn't possibly be true because, well, for one, gravity would cause them to collapse under their weight. And, and for, you know, the others that, uh, well, we would see traces of them everywhere if that was true, you know, just like we would see, you know, if the, the trees were these giant avatar like trees, which a lot of people like to talk about now. So I never gave any of those ideas, any, any thought or credence up until about four years ago when uh, I had a string of experiences that caused me to start questioning every aspect of, of reality. Because when, once you've been down enough different rabbit holes of, of different types and different completely un, seemingly unrelated subject matter, next thing you know, you start to find that they all kind of intertwine and, and uh, weave together in a tapestry that um, that is undeniable. And, and to somebody who hasn't done that work, you you come off sounding like a crazed theorist, right? You, you've got the corkboard behind you with all the push pins and the lines going between them and the bright red circles and the line, you know, it's like, this is how they present people who do this in the mainstream media and the movies as, as people who can, can bend and warp reality through a trick of the mind so that anything can fit into their, their theory of all that is, uh, no matter how absurd, and they're doing that Even through the, mental gymnastics. That's exactly what it appears that, let's say, the controller side, let's say, is doing exactly that, especially with the current science and so on. That whatever, you know, it's always well, nice the term, the term conspiracy you know? theorist. Yeah, the term conspiracy theorist was coined and weaponized to do exactly that, to, to just pigeonhole and put somebody who's willing to question the unquestionables into a box <laughs> so that you won't you no longer have to consider what they would what they might say as having any relevance because clearly they're nuts you know what's well, an effective uh, uh tool like you know divided concrete. i've i've rebranded the term i've said it now in a couple of interviews uh i i don't use that term anymore i i call them paying attentionists <laughs> because you know, if, if you've been around long enough and you've been questioning long enough, then then you can see through the BS narratives and you can start to, to see not only how things interconnect, but you have a chronological memory of the previous narratives and things that were said b before and presented as fact and that was undeniable. And the science has decided and we know this, you know, and, and it's just like our school books where it was just like one long list of all these facts of events that happened at a particular time and things that occurred. And it's just like, that's the way, that's the way it was. That was history. But now it's all about the future and let's move on to, you know, to space. <laughs> I was a big time futurist and space junkie and all those things. So um, yeah. And, and uh, paying attentionists this last year, you know, you can see who's paying attention and who isn't. Well, that's where it gets really tricky. You said you had heard an episode before um, with guests Andreas and um, Victor. There's a lot of people paying attention, and there's people noticing people paying attention, so they throw out what are called psyops or whatever. There's so much confusion these days. I mean, I think it is the end of the age of Pisces. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah. Where it's just like, holy shit. Um, and it's what's the, weird, the apocalypse, know you know, the unveiling. Exactly. I mean, and that's a religiously, you know, it's got a lot of baggage to it but yeah exactly you get it the, the lifting of the veil so it's like you guys can see the mac you know the mechanics of 
hyperdimensional reality, uh, you know, that you are part of at so many levels. Not only are yeah. we, you know, like bipedal fucking opposable thumb political sexual creatures, but, you know, we have, there's so much more. There's so many levels. And we're aware of that now. And I'm, I don't want to presume that people in the past, this is what we tend to do. We tend to think people in the past were stupid, right? Maybe they had a very different experience phenomenologically because of yugas or something. Cause you were kind of going through the litany of like, um, and I'm not against it of like, I'm a, I'm into the big bang. I'm into these things as a, almost a, um, I mean, you were saying you heard the Rupert Sheldrick one, almost like a material reduction, like a, um, what's it called? A, uh, Me- scientism. Mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Like scientism, like, mechanism. Yeah. You don't have to prove um, that stuff. Any, way, anything like, but you know, empiricism, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm of the mind now that, you know, the matrix does exist, but it doesn't exist. We're not in the matrix in, in, the, in a simulation, in my, in my belief. Um, <clears throat> I believe that there is a physical world around us and, and that, that the matrix is an overlay on top of that. And it's, it's, a, it's a prison for the mind, just, you know, like they, they say in the movies, you know. Um, and most people are completely unaware that they're in it. And, um, but... And and this is over the last four years where I started to go, okay, wait a minute, hold on a second. That's bullshit too. And that's bullshit. And that's bullshit. Like what's real, (laughs) you know, and it's you dig into the moon landings and it's like, they're hanging from wires and they're, they're falling on their face. And there's literally, if you dig into the whole space thing, there are literally thousands and thousands of flaws and, you know, like you, you got into with your interview with Andrew Jones, you know, you asked him what he thought, because he's such a master with, with digital art and uh, what he thought of NASA and, and uh, you know, the information they're, they're giving us. And what was it? He had some great line. It was, um, he said, uh, oh, you mean, you mean the, Na- the Nazi context art department that our government funds? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, that's, you dig into it, it's like, okay, everything's CGI, everything is harnesses and wires and, and CGI layering glitches. So and not just- at some point you have to say, why? Why fake it all? You know, I, I, I mean, my first exposure to the rabbit hole, apart from growing up in it, was when my dad gave me a, a book when I was 19 called uh, Behold a Pale Horse. By I've Cooper. heard of this. I, and, I've heard uh, all Bill Cooper shit. Yeah, he's hard. Yeah, he Christian. spelled out a whole ton of stuff Cooper's back then. So I was, yeah. I was 19, and I was already, you know, he was already. Be- he was a he identified as a Christian, and he um, he, he had a lot of tours already. Already back then, he was talking about fake alien invasions. That that this is what they were. You know, he lays out everything with MK Ultra and uh, all all kinds of different documents. Um, Quiet weapons, silent weapons for quiet wars, and and uh, protocols of Zion, and all this stuff is in that one book, you know. And and um, and he talked about space fakery also, um, and I just was kind of on board with it. And he was, but he was also talking about UFOs and alien tech. And somebody's ringing my doorbell, and I'm not expecting anyone. Oh, you could totally go get it if you want. Um, I'm good at filling in time <laughs> or whatever Raphael. i'm kind of yeah. curious i mean you've heard of the book of enoch Hold right on. yeah do your thing Raphael. yes have you ever heard of the book of enoch well i've heard of it yes but i'm not familiar with the content really
Oh, okay. It's. I mean, it's. There's actually a link I should send you, which is crazy, uh, because it's apocryphal. So this gets tricky. The, like at one point, there was a bunch of books of the Bible, according to you know Christian tradition, and then this gets into Roman Catholic groups or whatever. You know, uh, councils of Nicaea or whatever. You know, deciding what's in and what's out. This got caught, chopped out. Yeah, everything that's um, not canon basically is particularly yeah, interesting. Yeah, this out visually. of canon. Yeah, that's what this is. The Book of Enoch is almost like the Star Wars of heaven. It's like the story of how fallen angels gave information to people before their appointed time and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's heady. I mean, it's like, and I've seen a particular YouTube uh, clip about it using animes or video game clip scenes or something like that. And it was very compelling. Um, it might not be for everybody, but people that are listening to this channel, I mean, if they're into Christianity, they, the Book of Enoch is worth checking out. It's pretty hardcore. It's almost like an RPG final fantasy type situation for uh christianity <laughs> it's like the origins of like how did the fucking what was the war in heaven i think that's the idea so it's interesting he's into that uh i was tripping out though i heard spanish i'm like is he in costa rica and i'm like oh yeah he's in Spain. duh <laughs> yes i'm so used to that kind of thing um yeah i was trying to familiarize rafael a little with the book of enoch just i don't know in case oh, okay I just I just wanted to finish the the thing I was yeah, talking about with regards to to NASA. So um, I was already I already got wind to NASA fakery back when I was in my teens, but it never occurred to me because of all the space programming in the form of Star Trek and Star Wars and all the sci-fi stuff that I grew up loving that they had been faking it ever since. And so that was uh, that was kind of a <laughs> a rude awakening when I when someone challenged me on some of my beliefs and I started to go and try and prove things that I thought were really easy to prove and they turned out to not be so easy to prove. Um, and that that also got me questioning just the nature of reality in general. Yeah, so I'd like to bring this up once again on that note. Uh, I referenced it last show that Eddie Lynn recently, I guess, reposted this concept that Werner von Braun actually wrote a book in 1952 called Mars, A Technical Tale, where it really says that the leader of Mars is called Elon. Elon. I mean, what a scripted reality is this? This is incredible, you know? But that's and, where it gets yeah. weird. Because that's that the gets, whole that, yeah. nature of it. Because have you ever right. seen um, AHA's Take On Me music video? I mean, that's like fourth wall breakage, I think. We're... You're talking about Take On Me? Is that what mm -hmm. you mean? Yeah, you know their AHA. Or uh, the yeah. band is AHA. Yeah, Take On Me, where there's like black and white cartoon yeah. and they smash it through. That's kind of like some fourth wall, multi-dimensional breakthroughs. Yeah, it's like Portals, Stargate, all that, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, exactly. They've given us tons of that in Hollywood when, when we look at the, the movies. But that's also, I think, metaphor for... Well, you've got, you've got what is it, looking glass technology in CERN and who, who knows what that's doing, but... You know, also psychedelics very much take you to other realms, and the the uh, the people who try and kind of uh, minimalize the importance of psychedelics, they tend to talk about it as just an epiphenomenon. You know, just like consciousness, like it's an accident of the yeah, just of like consciousness of a right. complex mechanistic system. You know, and, and which uh, it is at a level. We'll give them some credence. I'm not denying that. Well, clearly the the the, the, the molecules are altering brain function and and the physiology in the body in in ways that are leading to heightened perceptions and experiences that are way beyond anything you would normally have in everyday existence, unless you're a yogi who's been meditating for, for decades and can control your breath and all these, all these things. But, um, yeah, 
so it, it's uh there's it's there's something there's something in there out there both and uh what it is that 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 is for all of us to figure out, I guess. The DAO that cannot be named is so, that right? <laughs> just for clarity's sake, did we already get the DAO to that the... can be named is not that DAO? Yeah. Did we already get to the two connecting points you mentioned in terms of your Christian audience? What Jim kind of was referring to? Oh yeah, back so back to points, that, right? Yeah. So thank you. So the with the Christianity thing, I just kind of brushed that aside. As it, actually, as a kid, I explored the the church a little bit because there was the there was a church and they used to sing and I went in. I was like 10 or 12 years old and I went in, memorized the Ten Commandments and they gave me a Bible and, you know, and, and uh, we went around this bus called the Joy Bus and they sang Christian songs. And I did that for maybe 10 or 12 times. And my mom was, she was okay with it. She's like, well, if you want to do that, you go redhead. And she didn't try and, you know, stop me from that at all. But after a while, I, I got bored with it and I, I don't know, it just never, never really resonated with me to the point where I wanted to read it, read the Bible and, and study and go to church. But my grandmother was, was very much a Bible believer. And uh, so it's always been there, you know, and then when you study history, like I, I alluded to before, you start to find out that most of the real tragedies in the world have centered around beliefs of, about spirituality and God and, and, uh, and how it's all been harnessed for, evil do you know by by evil doers <laughs> for exploitation so i just steered away from it and then not trying to catch you off guard but since i'm the unbaptized one already mentioned the kabbalah i'll just go one step further right now if i may just to get your uh, insider if you heard about this so i recently did a talk with uh, david ewing jr on let's say tartaria mud flood and also in particular i was surprised myself about the quran and the idea hmm. that actually the quran may be one of the few unmodified books because when whatever colonial imperialist force was rewriting history, they may have noticed this collectively in a sense, started memorizing it. This only refers to the original, let's say, Arabic Quran. That's only a specific mm. book, of course, because also right. here there was a lot of divide and conquer. And then there's the whole story with the Jesuits actually founding Islam, which in this frame of reference may just be another, let's say, co-opting division psyop. Um, anyways, I was just wondering if you had ever heard of that, because this was one of the last places where I would have looked, which deliberately says, look, people are falsifying history, people are selling Bibles for money, uh, there's buried buildings, look who lived here before, you know, like re really stuff that would make you question the fundamentals of our, you know, scripted reality, which of course inherently then, in a sense, is dangerous to any force that wishes to uh, control. Yeah, I'm reminded of a book I read a long time ago called The Chalice and the Blade by Rianne Eisler. And she was talking about the also the Gnostic Gospels as well by uh, Elaine Pagels. These are books where they talk a lot about how, you know, at the Council of Nicaea, different books were added to and taken out of the Bible. And I was literally talking about different that. revisions. Yeah, as you were um, getting your door, I was telling about the Council of Nicaea and the Enoch book. Yeah. So it's funny that you... Yeah, so that was, that was another reason I never really gave the Bible much credence. Um, a lot of and editing. Then, but I do now. I just want to say that um, I, I'm not. I, I still haven't read it, but I, I suspect that there's a lot of uh, tremendous amount of truth in there. Another thing that you you reminded me of was uh, the works. Uh, oh, when you were talking about the the uh, was it the Torah you 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 mentioned? Well, Quran or Kabbalah. I mean, oh, the any Quran. Of those, okay, you know, but yeah, Quran so, now so particularly. Torah versus Quran. So so the Quran. Um, I, 
you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Jan Irvin um, from uh, used to be Gnostic Media and now he goes by Logos Media. I'm sure so I've seen something of him, but he's done some very interesting work on this subject where, you know, whenever people want to talk badly about Islam or the, or the Quran, they, they, there's a whole bunch of different phrases that reappear uh, all over the Internet of, of quotes from from this this uh, text. And he started because he's constantly doing research and going in to the primary sources for different information. He's looked a lot into uh, psychedelics over the years. He's written books. He published uh, John Allegro's book, The Sacred Mushroom. Um, and he's interviewed everyone there was to interview within psychedelia. And um, he's had a lot of very interesting uh, different directions that he's taken with his research, uh, looking into secret societies and intelligence agencies and how that ties into the psychedelic community and to Silicon Valley and to the cutting edge of all of that, which is like the trance dance burning man boom kind of festivals, which, which all weaves together in a, in a tapestry of coincidences that are far too coincidental to be coincidence. Then Um, just very briefly, because I have nowhere else to mention this, I've been to boom festival in 2018 and there, a random individual, and I totally cannot verify this, somehow told me, yeah, this place got sold to Scientology or something like that, you know? I mean, I had a great experience, yeah? The, which, the land Boom. got sold? Uh, maybe the land or something about it. And I was just like, this sounds really strange to me. And uh, I mean, I'm... This is this is yeah. like the synchronicities are just stacking up here because I was listening okay. to this, this interview with Android Jones uh, and he talked about Boom as well. Did you meet him there? No, no, I no, I didn't know. And I mean, because you know, yeah. he was there, and he he uh, he um, uh, premiered Samsara, which is this incredible right, video my, my that he did. Things. Yeah, it's and crazy. and then then he also did like a fireside chat or a roundtable, and so he was one of the speakers at Boom, and I was also there. Oh, nice! In two thousand eighteen. So, yes. Nice. Yeah. And well, it's the only one of it's the only one of those things I've ever been to. I've never been been to Burning Man, and uh, I didn't even know about Burning Man back back when I was there. And I wanted to once I found out about something like that, I was like, God, that sounds incredible, and I wanted to to try it out. And I heard that Boom was the closest you could get to to going to Burning Man. And there was an author named uh, James Orock who uh, had written a book called Tryptamine Palace that a friend of mine introduced me to. And when I read that one. It, it kind of sparked a, a psychedelic renaissance for me because I did a lot f- between my teens and 20s. And then I, I didn't do anything for like 10, 15 years, started a family, went to chiropractic college and uh, was living in a country where just, I didn't know anybody who was into any of that. And I wasn't going looking for it myself. So I had about a 15 year break from that. And then this friend talking about this book and me reading it just kind of sparked a renewed interest. And then I started listening to Lorenzo Haggerty's Psychedelic Salon and listening to loads of stuff from Terrence McKenna, who I'd never run across uh, until he's a about, trip, right? about six, seven years ago. And I was listening to, yeah, he's definitely a trip. And listening to, uh, I mean, there's, I think the Psychedelic Salon podcast is up to like six or 700 uh, podcasts. And They're dope. 150 or 200 of those are probably Terrence McKenna. And uh, that's where I heard the trialogues and a number of other things. So it's uh, it was something that I was very much interested in the archaic revival. And I and I felt like the world is just kind of heading down this 
dead end direction. And if something doesn't turn around, well, what's that something going to be? And I thought that psychedelics were, were, were going to play a huge role in that. And there was a lot of good research coming out of places like Johns Hopkins and other, other, you know, reputable schools. And then you got Strassman with the DMT, the spirit molecule stuff that was like the first time the U S government had allowed research to be done on psychedelics and he's doing it on DMT and it's starting to become popularized and Joe Rogan is there pumping, you know, every, every episode talking about DMT and mushrooms and psychedelics in different ways. Um, and that was before I awakened to how much of that whole community is intelligence and letter agencies and uh, pushing agendas and actually, you know, promoting pharmacaea, <laughs> which the Bible specifically warns against, you know. Ironically, um, in the Book of Enoch, it's saying fallen angels gave us these kind of psychedelics, potentially, because it gets it quickly into right. presuppositions very quickly. If you're of the mind of a uh, kind of a Darwinian model, the McKenna model looks great, right? Or 2001 Space Odyssey. If you're Absolutely. Sure and and then like, you've, got the, you've got stoned ape theory. You've got an incredibly plausible uh, theory for how evolution really took place, even though Darwinian evolution to me is a crock of bull that... Uh, you know, there are way too many missing links and too many giants, uh, skeletons have been converted into dinosaurs, <laughs> you know, that for, for my taste. <laughs> That's my theory. You know, I, it's like they, they go missing whenever they're found, um, thanks to the Smithsonian. And, and then all the, you know, the top archaeological digs and sites are controlled by UNESCO and other uh, other agencies. So, you know, there's a tight grip there. And when you look at academia and you see you've got what is it? The Royal Society and society. And it's like it's a nice old boys club there that decide what reality is for everybody. Indeed. And if it is true, then Ephesus was empty about 150 years ago. And now it's like the site for ancient discovery. So what was empty? Ephesus, Ephesus in Turkey, which is one of the you know main sites they use for like Greek, I guess, Greek or whatever ancient artifacts and so on. There's always exhibitions. The Book of Ephesians and so is based on. off of Ephesus. And yeah. all I can say well, is I'm that familiar with Chatel Hayuk and what's the other? Gobleki Tepe. Those are both yeah. in, in, in Turkey Gobleki as well. Uh, Chatel Hayuk was already being talked about back by Rianne Eisler in the book I mentioned before, The Chalice and the Blade. And she's talking about these these uh, dichotomies between the um, the 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 hunter, you know, gather society like the the egalitarian people are cooperating working with each other versus the societies that are ruled by the blade which are the conqueror societies and that and that one of the the things that they were noticing when they were looking at the really ancient structures and they're talking about you know twelve thousand years ago or so um was that there were no weapons there were no uh walls around the cities that came later and so so the assumption then is that they were peaceful and uh, she thinks that that's because they were more matriarchal. Um, so those are those are different theories about it. But Chateau Hayuk also, uh, or Gobleki Tepe, ties into the works of Graham Hancock, which which was another, you know, deep rabbit hole for me. Those are probably my me. favorite Joe Rogan podcasts. Him with uh, Graham Hancock and um, yeah, the, those are epic. And Randall dude. Carlson. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and I read uh, several uh, books by Hancock. And one of the first ones I read was Supernatural. And that was that came at, around the same time That's I got newer, this right? other book. What's that? I think, is that one of his newer books? No, Supernatural is older. I, I would guess it's 
10 plus years old. Um, okay, his okay. new, his, I, I don't remember the name of his newest. I haven't read it, but the second to last book he wrote was called Magicians of the Gods, which was a follow up to his uh, Fingerprints of the Gods. And he, like in Supernatural, he lays out this, he talks about McKenney, he talks about these different theories about the old cave paintings uh, that they're finding around around Europe that, that are supposedly 25, 35,000 years old, and that they've tried to understand what the markings are on these caves because all over the place, they've got these same symbols that are re reappearing. And that ties into a neurological phenomenon of, of actual visual effects that people get when they're on different, different stages of psychedelics. So the idea being that humankind has evolved through our relationship to the entheogens and the psychedelic drugs. And that ties into Stamets' idea. Mechanic. Yeah, McKenna, is, he's laying out that. And you got the whole panspermia thing where the idea is that the spores of mushrooms can percolate out through the atmosphere and into space and then over hundreds of millions of years work their way to other planets and seed new locations with life. And the, this is so fascinating because uh, Paul Stamets talks about the, the, the mycelial network can actually come from the ocean and creep up onto the land. So at a time when it's only volcanoes and there's no plant or, or vegetable life, the mycelium can take root on land and actually, and actually de, um, not decompose, but actually leach out the minerals that are in the different rock, the, the fundamental rock before there was any life, and then uh, create the fruiting bodies of the mushrooms, which then decompose and all of a sudden, then you have your topsoil. So there, there's there's your open opening to plant life. So they're all very interesting theories, but I no longer uh, subscribe to certain aspects of that because I don't believe in the whole uh, comet strike, younger dry ass um, narrative that Carlson and, and Hancock are promoting because I think space is fake. Or, or not fake, but it's not what they're telling us. I think space is real but it's not Hollywood space. It's something entirely different. So the idea of panspermia is pretty popular in science fiction. Was also interesting. I'd like to, I mean, I'm not sure if we can unravel it in one session, but again, these strange connections between psychedelics, cultural engineering, festivals, and letter agencies. However, mm. even here in the most recent uh, Star Trek, uh, it's called Discovery, and there they actually have a spore drive and their main... Uh, scientific officer who's then the pilot for that drive which is working through tardigrade dna where i also heard that's kind <laughs> of a but that storyline may even be a ripoff of a certain steam game or something published two years prior or whatever strange story right. but anyways this guy in the series is called stamets himself so it's interesting here how they are still intertwining this you know make it seem nice in parallel yeah. realities and i think it's well, it yeah. is it is a cosmology that they're presenting, and with that cosmology goes a spiritual view, spiritual view on life and a and a essentially a new religion. You know, I mean, it it is the religion of heliocentrism, um, ultimately, because you know when you take people like Bruce Damer, who you know claims to have worked for NASA and you know been at the Pentagon, and you know he's this really far out. Uh, character he to me kind of typifies and embodies the whole burning man movement of, of these super geniuses who use psychedelics and they're you know crossing multiple different uh fields in in life and and uh, bringing new knowledge to to us and uh 
I, I take a step back away from all of that when you realize that, well, NASA's full of bull. Why are they full of bull? What, what would the point of, of fakery be? I, I can understand it during the Cold War when we want to present the illusion that we beat the Russians there, right? And that the Russians, okay, well, they, they got there first, you know. But why wouldn't the Russians have exposed the fakery? Clearly, they would have known it was fake. So then all of a sudden, now you, you have to step back even further and you realize that all the spacefaring agencies are also giving us the same BS narrative. So that suggests that there's a collusion among countries that are supposedly at not at war, but at war ideologically and have completely different govern, governments and governmental structures. And, and yet they, they're all towing the line on things like space and and uh, missions to Mars and, you know, controlling robots from hundreds of millions of miles away and et cetera. So um, I've gotten suspicious of all of that. Going back to what you were talking about as far as letter agencies, Jan Irvin and Steve Outram uh, did a series called uh, The Shadow History of the Burners, which is an eight part series, They're like three hours each. It's just, <laughs> There's a lot of material to cover and they, they start just connecting all the dots of all the key players, you know, going back to the beginnings of Silicon Valley and the beginnings of rocketry and all of that stuff and, and working their way forward into the cutting edge of it all, which is the, the whole Burning Man and, and trance dance psychedelic movement. Um, but when you go back to the beginnings of it, you know, to the 1940s, the, the, you've got the, the appearance of mushrooms in the mind of the American people on the front page of Life magazine with Gordon Wasson and, and uh, you know, the magic mushrooms and all this stuff. And so you dig into it, you find out even the guy who was the supposed amateur mycologist who went down to South America and discovered the great magic mushroom and met with Maria Sabina, you know, it's like this folklore within the, the psychedelic community and everyone's always parroting the same stories, right? But when you dig into it, you find out that Gordon Wasson was he was the head of propaganda for J.P. Morgan. So he was a very high level, you know, in the banking. He uh, you know, there's uh, according to Jan Irvin, there's actually pay requisitions for for the CIA. So he's on the payroll with the CIA. It's like, OK, so the very initial the initial appearance of psychedelics in the mind of the American public was already tainted with intelligence back at its very beginning. And then when you go forward, you find out like people like Timothy Leary, he was also, you know, intelligence and also a big devout follower of Crowley and the acid tests and all, all this. It's a, it's, it's a deep um, set of rabbit holes that, that just branch <laughs> off in every direction from that point. So I'm, I'm suspicious uh, when it comes to why is there such an agenda to push psychedelics on people? Because it's always presented in this real, um, this is the way forward for healing, for you to overcome whatever it is that's holding you back in life and to heal your past traumas. And, and that was why I was very much interested in the archaic revival and even wanted to write a book on the subject and, and uh, weave in some of my own experiences. And uh, it would take hours to, to really go into you know, the, the events that led up to, to me taking a step back and going, wait a minute, you know, it had to do with, um, 
an experience I had that, that tied into Pinocchio and Disney, and that led into MKUltra and Masonry and uh, strange scenes in the canyon, you know, like McGowan's work. And it, it, there's just way too much there for, for that to be the, the weaving together of somebody who's just playing connect the dots and, and there's no truth to any of it. Yeah, so I'm curious. Oh, Rafa, go ahead. No, just it's certainly all connected. What's And it's definitely great to always, you know, as you mentioned, go to original sources, check the original history, identify all the key players and check, simply put, whether they're on a letter agency payroll, which, you know, so many people are everywhere and oftentimes it's not known whilst they are very much public, even though recently there has been this Academy to the Stars. Dark Journalist always goes on about it with uh, Tom DeLong, former Blink-182 or whatever. And they, right. they raised oh, like, a tremendous <laughs> amount of money. They raised a tremendous amount of money. And then they had like really? this board. Yeah, they had, uh, now they're 50 million in debt. They wanted to produce all kinds of stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. They had this board. And even on the board, you had people like, I think, by the name of Alessandro and others, which are known CIA agents, you know. So it's like, right. it's not even hidden anymore. And what I just like to differentiate, ideally, at least in one's own mind, is then not allow just like, a let's say, a pentagram or anything, a cross or anything, be tainted by, uh, for lack of a better term, the controller faction, just because, of course, they try to put their mark on everything and anything. At the same time... Well, symbols, symbols are tools. Totally. They're, they're ways of con conveying information. They're neutral. That's the way I see them anyway. Exactly. Um, as our, you know, as our tools. <laughs> you, can, you can use carpentry tools to... to bludgeon somebody or to build a house exactly and same with psychedelics so my question now would kind of be at least in my view why then in a sense let the cat out of the bag aside from the fact that we know much too little about accurate history before anything you know that's more than 50 years ago or whatever or even less than that but um why let the cat out of the bag then kind of let dragon come in ban everything again make a big war on drugs still sell it well, anytime you anytime you may prohibit something you're going to immediately draw all of the youth to it which is exactly what they wanted to do and the whole psychedelic buses and the ken kesey thing uh no i said buses but it was you know the 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 electric kool-aid acid test i read that book when i was in my teens early 20s and it was one of those classics that you read you know along with the the beatneck literature and alan watts and you know there's the whole set of books that were all tied into this time period and, and these kinds like of oh high initiation i imagine <laughs> and and yeah it, it, you know that was that was what i was growing up with but jan irvin exposed uh, i think he called it an mk ultra reunion and he had actual video footage where They were, there was a bunch of guys who were known, known agents and uh, they were sitting around a room and they were literally discussing the buses, plural. And there were a lot of these buses that were going around and, and the, the, you know, the letter agency <laughs> was, was behind the vast majority of the distribution of, of LSD you know, through, through that time period. So they were, they wanted people taking this stuff. There's no doubt about it. And then you had the, the Grateful Dead, which is very unusual stuff. And Jan Irvin did another series called Laying the Dead to Rest, which I can recommend, uh, that talks about their connections to the occult and to the secret societies. And they were a primary source of distribution for all that for 
decades because they were going around from town to town to town. So that's that's kind of concerning. Jan Irvin talks about you know the the, the evolution of the term psychedelic. Before that, it was psychomimetic. It was a um, it was a telepathy was something that Terence McKenna talks about it being called you know because it allowed people to actually communicate telepathically. Um, psychomimetic mim mimicking psychosis. There were lots of different terms, and so then you know they've rebranded it psychedelic being mind manifesting. So that sounds kind of cool, you know, and and then uh, entheogen, you know, generating the God within. So that's appealing for the people who are on the spiritual quest. Jan Irvin calls them suggestogens because they make you incredibly suggestible <laughs> when you're that under the influence, which makes which fun. makes it very easy for someone who knows the psyche and how it works to program somebody who's in that state. And when you look into MKUltra and how they go about doing all of their, their stuff, you're, you're talking about literally frag, fracturing and fragmenting the psyche of the individuals through traumatic experiences. And we've all undergone this in varying degrees. I mean, if you think about Disney films, they're filled with trauma-based mind control programming where you've got the battle of good and evil and you've got these demonic elements in, in literally every movie <laughs> ever done. And... Uh, you know, that it's like, okay, those are great stories and it's the hero's journey and it's all these things like, you know, Joseph Campbell would, would frame it in this really positive way. But is that, you know, is it, is a three-year-old or four or five or six or seven-year-old psych psychologically equipped to handle those kinds of traumas? Like, I remember very clearly when Bambi's mother died, you know, that's like in the first 10 minutes of the film. You've got all this idyllic setting and Bambi's playing with Thumper in the meadow and the birds are there, the little bluebirds, and then boom, Bambi's mom dead by fire. You know, it's like, okay, well, whatever comes after that is, is going to be coming into the person who's already in a disassociated state. And that's a, that's a very concerning thing. So, you know, um, uh, that, yeah. I don't know. We have threads going what? everywhere now. I want to get back to the Torah thing real quick because yeah, yeah, yeah. that also ties into uh, to the work that Jan Irvin has done where he went and he started looking at the primaries on all of these different quotes that are used to damn, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the Torah um, because it makes it, it makes the religion look horrible <laughs> in the eyes of, of a Westerner. And uh, when he started to look into those one by one and go through and check the primaries, none of them were there. Like, I think he said like 6% of the, the different quotes that were bouncing all over had any basis in fact. Now, I haven't checked his work, so I don't know if he's telling the truth, but he's done a lot of very interesting research. And I, um, you know, I think it's, it's worth looking into. And then he got the idea to check the, the Kabbalah or the... What's the other text? The, is it the Kabbalah, the, the Torah, the Kabbalah? The Talmud, the Talmud, maybe. The Talmud, that was what it was. And, and so all of these quotes that were being, or not all, but many of the quotes that were being attributed to the Torah were actually, had been taken verbatim from the Talmud. Yeah, that's what I was thinking now, yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that is like, okay, hmm. <laughs> so, you know, is this, uh, is this some kind of black magic that's being worked or what's, what's happening there? Um, uh, anyway, those are there's a lot of different things to look into there that we've already talked about.
All right. As the big Lebowski would say, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. I'm kind of curious <laughs> about your kind of ontological presuppositions at this point. I mean, you were saying that at one point you were very okay with um, certain things, uh, like the a younger Dryas kind of uh, Graham Hancock approach or whatever. And now that you're yeah. not so much about you're saying space isn't so much. So you don't have to be like, this is the truth. I just want to know, like, maybe in certain elements, like where your head is at in terms of modeling. And I, with the understanding that that's not always been the case and it may not always remain. Um, so you don't have to feel pigeonholed. Like if you're a flat earther now and you won't be, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care. I'm yeah. just curious. Like, how are you viewing reality? Because yeah. sometimes I'm like, I, you know, Raphael's very, he's turned me on to more new age monism, if you want to put it that way. Or it's like, and psychedelic mm -hmm. experiences, you know, minus any possible MK ultra programming via cultural icons like McKenna and stuff. Um, but personal, mm -hmm. you know, experiences have led me to see the holographic fractality of reality. I mean, you were talking about fractals. Uh, one of my first mushroom trips in high school, actually, I lost my mind and totally, it, I mean, it was kind of like an initiation, but like I wasn't ready kind of thing and had no one helping me. Um, but I was I did a bunch of mushrooms and I was like, oh shit, I see the fractal nature of reality. I wasn't really tripping mm. face like visually. I just had the gnosis, right? I was like, oh yes, yeah. the Milky Way is your blood is the sand and the beach, whatever. Right, and as above, perfect. so below, as within, exactly. so without. Right, right. And it's hard <laughs> yeah. to... Um, you know, that's an ineffable quality of reality, but when you see it, even if only for a moment through the lens of a hallucinogen or whatever, uh, it, it kind of leaves a mark on you. It irked me. Anyway, my point is, um, my worldview has changed, but you know, sometimes I'm more optimistic. Sometimes I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, where are you at now? I mean, it's been an interesting couple of years. I mean, astrologically, even speaking with the conjunctions and such, we're about yeah. to, we just entered Gemini season. Eclipse season is about to start with <laughs> very soon. Um, I'm I'm so yeah, 50, I'm 53, and I can tell you that um, my beliefs about the nature of reality on just about every level in the last five years have just undergone complete changes. Not just as a result of the research that I've done and the the things that I presented, but you know, looking into cosmology, looking into the nature of our realm, our our world, um, finding that there were inconsistencies many <laughs> in the in the model that I grew up just taking for granted because there's no way so many people could be in on it and there's no way that they could have kept a secret for, for so long and all these these things that we think that are actually logical fallacies you know it's a appeal to authority appeal to group think you know there's all and and uh and, and we just through our hubris and our own personal ego we 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 come to the conclusion that we couldn't possibly be wrong about those things because that would mean the vast majority of everybody is wrong about everything and uh and that couldn't possibly be true because there's all those brilliant scientists out there that are looking through their telescopes and there, uh, yeah. <laughs> floating around in uh on the iss you know with their live stream and um so when it's interesting because i talked about all this kind of awakening to wait a minute i when it comes to psychedelics and how um, they they're pushed, why the push? What's what's the agenda? Why do they want people taking these things? Is it for the betterment of, of society and humanity? Well, if that's the case, then why? What like if you look into the electric Kool Aid acid test, it was like the perfect scenario for a psychotic break. You get people who've never taken psychedelics. You give them 400 micrograms, which is like four hits of acid. You put them in a very public place with a lot of people. And with a band that's playing music that has two sets of drummers and, and uh, Jerry, 
Garcia in, in one video I saw of him described it as the Ouroboros where they'd get these, these circulating rhythms that were going around in a circle around the room in opposite directions. And then like this cacophonic music That's and things happening though. with 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 strobe and everything. Well, maybe to an experienced psychonaut, but not to somebody who's never even right. No, like yeah, the smoking post weed, and they think they're going to go try this. And it's like, are you experienced? You know, and you got Did you so. It? And then when you dig into stuff like uh, what's his name, um, you know, the Doors, Jim Morris, and this the, the weird scenes in the camera, McGowan. Admiral Byrd, there's all these tie-ins to intelligence agencies in the music industry as well, which is just sure. So weird. hold on, just take a deep Mark breath. Mark Devlin goes into that deep, yeah. I'm curious, because I because Virgos tend to do this. I have a friend, Corey Kaplan, he's been on a bunch, he's a Virgo. I'm looking at your chart. I mean, you've got Mercury in eighth fucking house. So it's like, you know, you're very intense. Uh, it's opposite your Saturn and Aries second house. So you're questioning the world seriously, quite frankly. And uh, Pluto and Uranus are conjunct your son so you're here to like flip up the tables jesus style straight up even if you don't believe in the guy so um but i'm kind of curious uh, okay so this is where it gets funny to me because and this isn't like to be naive or blase or any of that you know whatever um i'm kind of like when we pull out past a point because virgos tend to get very scrutinized very quickly and not paranoid in a bad way but very um mechanical and like segmented in their thinking where there's like and I'm not even saying that's bad. I appreciate it. Like, like I said, the girl I'm with is a Virgo. Most I'm not hating on Virgos. Point is, I'm kind of curious. When you pull back, it's like, what's not programming? Like, there's no neutral place. I've, this yeah. is what I've kind of always talked about with Rafael. It's like, all right, so it's like, I mean, this is where it gets weird. Where the negative polarity of what you're explaining might be like, these are government agencies trying to co-opt the psyches of citizens, right? Like, that's like definitely what yeah. you're painting it as well, which may or may not be and, actually and specifically lead them to experiences where they might actually like... encounter entities and as uh you know um uh android jones alluded to in, in his interview he hmm. he was talking about demonic possession he was talking about um, he was more zoriastic you know, about it than i was expecting i'll be honest i was like oh really he sounded well Christian. you know i was really uh i really enjoyed that interview because he touched on so many different things that i that i've been thinking about and and have you know uncovered on my own and in, in my own research uh but he's like one of the only people that's well known in the psychedelic community apart from Jan Irvin, who's been extremely ostracized by the whole community because he's calling out a bunch of uh, people for, for their, their unnatural connections to certain unnatural things. Um, and, and so Jones was like the first time I'd heard people talking about this. Now it's interesting because if you go into Hancock's work, he goes from supernatural and he, he paints a really beautiful, wonderful image of psychedelics in that book. But then he went on to write two books of fiction called War God 1 and 2, which I only read the first parts of, and they were extremely dark. And it was all about the uh, mushroom cults in South America and the Aztecs that were like Apocalypto dosing style. the shit out of people with really high dose mushrooms to put them in a completely terrified state so that they could march them up to the top of the ziggurats or, or the, the pyramids and then, you know, extract their still beating hearts from their chests while they're incredibly high. I mean, this is this is pure demonic activity at the at the darkest, most powerful level. And, you know, Hancock's talking about like as many as 50, 70,000 people in the course of a week being sacrificed live. I mean, this is some dark shit. And when you hear about 
psychedelics and going down to the rainforest to have your experience with a shaman, it's always presented in this airy fairy sort of a thing where it's like you're gonna um, you're gonna have to do some work. You know, it's not gonna be easy. It's not necessarily gonna be fun. You might puke, puke your guts out, but it's it's only gonna be good for you because you're gonna yeah. Well, maybe or maybe you're gonna get you know demonically possessed or raped by some interdimensional entity. You know, it's like. Yeah, oh, but that's all. This is getting back to what I want to say before with Tim Leary and these other guys and be here now and all this. It's all about the ego death and reaching that point where you have the breakthrough experience. So your ego dies so that then you can be reborn and you've 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 grown through this experience. And while that may happen to some, that ego death might actually be a fracturing of the psyche and an opening up of the spiritual body that could potentially allow a person to become demonically possessed or, you know, but they're constantly talking about it in this perspective of, oh, well, those are all just reflections of other aspects of your, your deeper self, right? And so you're battling your own demons and you're coming to terms with the, and I understand the truth of that because I've had some very profoundly, you know, intense psychedelic experiences. Um, but, uh, I never gave any credence to the idea that, well, first of all, I'll just say I've never had entity experiences. I've had the sense that there, there was another there, but not necessarily within me. Um, but I've never had interactions with entities and in any of those experiences. It'll fuck um, you up. Many people I know have, but I've had, you know, very high. Like I did, uh, are you familiar with Santo Daime? Have you heard of that? Yeah, Santo Daime Church, yeah. Yeah. So it's a syncretic religion that was founded in South America by a guy who was, a, I think, a, a rubber tapper he, um, who had just a profound psychedelic experience on ayahuasca after a shaman gave it to him. And he started a whole religion, which is now along with Unayo de Vegetal. I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce it. They're like the two kind of mainstream accepted, accepted ayahuasca churches. And um, so I had... Uh, they're the ten, acid tests ten of ayahuasca now there, I guess. What's that? I said they're the semi-acid tests of ayahuasca down there now, I guess. I, right. Well, not just down like there, the all over. They're all right. over the world now. And they're in they're in Holland. I don't know about Austria, but they're they're in Spain. They're in all over South America. You've got states like Oregon that have completely legalized uh, in you know entheogenic use. And it's all within this ceremonial context. Well, my experiences from my twenties with psychedelics was always just, I mean, some of it, a lot, a lot of it was recreational also, but, but I went in from the beginning with the spiritual mindset after having already read a ton of books on the subject and uh, was very cautious. I never, I never did anything until I was 19. I didn't even smoke pot until I was 19 because my mom was, like my mom was a meditator and she was like, you can get there on the natch, you know, as Terrence McKenna used to say you know, through, through meditation. And then you don't risk, you know, psychotic breaks or, uh, or, um, you know, getting addicted to substances and, and you can only reach these higher, you know, levels of experience through, um, through the drug rather than ever figuring out how to get there on your own. And, uh, so I don't know, I lost where I was going with that, but, um, maybe allow me just to say so, you mentioned about well demonic possession of course that's a let's say topic and perspective unto itself also the entire question is 
reality really holographic are these aspects of yourself the concept that i tend to agree with is like vibration to like vibration what you put out is what you get back so it very much of course depends you know they then like to say set and setting but also very much mm. of course let's say the ideology who you're with there the shaman and i was in a I don't know if you call it facetious way or whatever. I was almost about to say, well, you don't unfortunately even need any interdimensional entities to come around and rape you. You may as well have, and I heard this too often, although I also have had, you know, many great experiences, but simply with, I'm about to say, <laughs> retarded shamans or whatever, or, uh, you know, people that just put themselves in a position and then act in a way where you're like, you've understood nothing, obviously. And those, of course, are not the people you would want to learn from or do any ceremony with or who give you some exactly. other or even, you know, they tell you we do one ceremony and then they give you some acid on top. You don't even know it. All kinds of shit, yeah. you know, and on, and, <laughs> so and, uh, that exists. For you know, sure, they yeah. have the idea that they're experts because they've gotten high a bunch of times and they, they uh, present themselves as such. And um Yeah, I mean, you compare that to somebody who's like trained to be a shaman in the in the rainforest and has done 10,000 trips in their life. You know, they they they've spent as much time navigating those realms as they have in the in in the, the physical concrete world. And uh, and so my when I started to get wind to the the idea that not everything was, you know, shits and giggles and airy fairy when it came to the psychedelic push because i mean you've got like i said johns hopkins is coming out with stuff and they're oh uh mushrooms are great for depression and dmt is great for the and oh but yeah well, there's a whole lot of pro uh cv research coming out of <laughs> out of there as well and and uh when you oh, look yeah. into who who are some of the big names be behind all of all of that it's like hmm doubling back on letter agencies once again it would seem it's so uh so there's a whole lot of propaganda out there to be uh decoded and uh sorted out um i i i stepped away from it all five years ago and i haven't gone back because i still haven't come to any kind of terms for myself about what you know i don't know you after that And, and after I had these experiences with Santo Daime, I went to 10 different ceremonies and that I could write a book about those experiences um, and this particular probably segment should, of time. Given your North Ode and Second House Aries, like you should <laughs> document your I've adventure. Already, I've already got a book title and, and yes. I just, I, I've got one book that's like 95% done and it's with an editor that's uh, from a previous chapter of life, which we'll go into on another another visit <laughs> um and once that one's done then i can I, that'll free me up creatively to to write the books that i really want to write which are though really this other one has just been like giving birth you know it's so it's been such a long arduous process but these others will i think will write themselves because they're based on a lot of personal experience and stories that i want to tell so it'll be i think it'll go a lot a lot quicker um But right around the time I was having those Santo Daime experiences, I was also studying all this stuff, Graham Hancock stuff, um, and uh, and then started to get into the the or, or become more aware of the connection to letter agencies, and that was um, that was when my friend Alex started uh, hitting me with challenges to my cosmological model as well. And, and uh, uh, his 
he, he has a very interesting channel called Conspiracy Music Guru. And he's affectionately known as, as the Flat Earth Man. <laughs> he's got so, these things going. Flat Earth Man. That? So yeah, I, I'm just like, I've never heard of him. I'll have to check it out. Because I'm open-minded, but like McKenna said. You've never heard of him? Uh, oh, I mean, my God. Not off the top of my head, no. Okay. But I'm also not the guy to ask. I mean, you know, I didn't know. I don't know what SGTV is or whatever. And Raphael, mm. you were saying that like, it's a big deal. And I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> I'm yeah. against, I'm just, I'm not the guy. That, it's weird. I know a lot about weird things, but not about the things one would presume I would should know about, for example. Uh, I just got my yeah. first fucking credit card recently. Let's put it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man child. <laughs> like, don't ask me. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm a Gemini. Double Gemini. You're just a late bloomer. So yeah. was I. Well, Gemini. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm just getting talking. going just now. I hope I, I hope I can finish all my projects. You know. But, no, well, uh, when you drop that book, we'll have you on and talk about that. I mean, I, I would like you're a very cogent mind, um, and I'd like to see you kind of cross pollinate with certain people, uh, even Rodrigo. Like hearing you guys talk together would be fun. But um, but they I'm did sure, not so, just once. They have huge shows. Four, four, four hours. We got yeah. we got about four seven hours, hours of video topic. document <laughs> picture documentation. Oh, for sure. It, yeah, it was like three weeks ago or something, wasn't it? Some, somewhere yeah. around there. Um, I forgot how much uh, spare time plays into listening to podcasts. Uh, I, when I was growing weed, I would turn on two X. <laughs> yeah, uh, because you know, like, you know how I started. Uh, why, I, because Terrence McKenna is so hypnotic, but he's also really slow, and he's a lot of times he repeats himself. For the record, and so I was I was listening to a lot of McKenna there and hiking for a long time, and oh, that's, uh, that's when I started going up to one point five, and it stressed me out in the beginning. I was like, oh my God, it's too fast and I'd forget to breathe. And, and then after a while, I just got used to it. And then I could go up to 1.75. And if someone's a slow talker, I can do 2x, no problem. And, and you get through a lot more information that way. Um, it's called machine elf mode. <laughs> like it's yeah. doable. Uh, that's actually a really good way. That's okay. So that's a good example. This is a weird way, a uh, weird segue. But what you just said is a good example of a life hack to cause your cognition to enhance some way. Now your spirit, mind, body connection—that's a whole other thing. But I'm wondering. So your negative polarity view of these lettered agencies, that these things kind of fraction the psyches of people and program them possibly for Luciferian agendas. Who knows? That's one. I'm not saying that's not even happening. It's it is. It's both and. It's not either or. I'm like that is. A level of it but at the same time one has to think these are also um almost 2001 black obelisk or monolith or whatever right um the monolith like certain apes touch this thing and then they rock it to the next level that's the whole mckenna stone deep thing in a way which is also yeah happening i feel i mean it seems like you have a very negative opinion on psychedelics which i don't care i mean if you do, i don't fine. i don't oh, actually okay. um that's wrong. it might ah. sound like that i i some of the the most profound learnings and and incredible experiences I've ever had were under the influence uh, of psychedelics. Um, You're just, at, uh, I guess, but I was, I was led to believe stuff. certain things about it by key players in the psychedelic industry um, that uh, on more reflection and on more study are propaganda. They are narratives that are being pushed. And so then the question is, why are they pushing the narrative? And, they, and why are they misrepresenting something? And why are they not showing the risks for what they really are? And why are they, you know, it's all just, it's all positive and it's all good. And, and, if, and if you have a problem, this is, you know, the, like the electric Kool-Aid acid tests. It was a... If you if, fail, you're if someone, Yeah, if you <laughs> failed, it's like you just weren't, you you're weren't not cool, open-minded. You're not cool enough. You couldn't handle it. You just couldn't handle it. That's the problem, you know. And uh, 
yeah, well, maybe the reason they couldn't handle it was because you put them in a scenario that was just ripe for fracturing their brain in ways that they couldn't even begin to cope with. And to think that they're going to come back from that and not, you know, you're not going to have people who have, you know, some permanent damage is naive. Um, set and setting, you said it before, that's everything. Uh, but these things well this. predate, um, you know, the psychedelics of the 60s, the Ellicinian mysteries. I mean, we can go back. I, I mean, obviously, depending on one's presuppositions, shamanistic animism yeah. might be just. But the, maybe the, they've been playing the same game for millennia. Ad infinitum. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah if you control the, the oracle, you know. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, the oracle of Delphi. Some money you, off the war or yeah. whatever. And you weren't, you weren't a citizen of, of the Greek uh, uh, nation until you had undergone that ceremony and you weren't considered a full-fledged citizen. So they march you into Eleusis. They march you into Eleusis and uh, you, you consumed a beverage called Kikion, which was, uh, what was that? Rye, ergot, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about the, it's basically LSD probably, a naturally occurring uh, analog of, of NS, LSD. So, yeah, I don't know. It's you can speculate a lot, but but when you start to find out that there are a lot of people who are not necessarily telling the truth about themselves, there's a video out there that creeped me out of Timothy Leary. It's just a two and a half minute video, and he's um, he's dressed like a Sith Lord, and he's looking super intense, and he's he's talking about how um, basically the the greatest influence in in his life was. Alistair Crowley, and that uh, he considered himself to be continuing the great works of Alistair Crowley. And, and it wasn't enough that he looks like a Sith Lord, and he's, but he's, he's in this video, he's sitting in front of a, of a painting behind him, which is Christ, which got, Christ has horns, reptilian eyes, and the number 666 between the horns, right? Well, Does it always have to be and so this is the guy the who was telling everybody to tune in, turn on, and drop out. And he was he was working for um, uh, you know oh he was supposedly fired from Harvard right because of his LSD work and so that that tied into the whole uh, oh this is horrible stuff and we've got to prohibit it and ban it, which then made it of course more more uh, appealing to the whole '60s uh, Vietnam War protest. Uh, fuck the establishment generation which is my mom is you know that that's that's her whole age group now um <laughs> i don't know um, i'm just going on and on well this is no no it's fine i love it because this is where i get kind of uh curious about like where does this end in terms of the regression of i mean this gets into nietzsche really quick right where it's like oh people are just willing to power and people are dominating you know oh there's a group that are willing to s s splatter your psyche and then tell you to drink coke Okay, now you have a generation of Coke drinkers. I mean, if I may uh, just briefly try to reframe this, do we agree that uh, psychedelics, for lack of a better term, you know, hallucinogen isn't much better probably, but that it's basically a technology and a tool, right? Yeah, so it's like neutral. Suggestogens. Suggestogens. <laughs> Although... well, even, no, even that, but then the whole point would just be as with any other technology or practice or anything would just be to reclaim it and truly make it your own and not have yeah. somebody else, you know basically program you with it because the risk of what you mentioned in terms of dissociation 100% is given, you know, totally. At the same time, great integration and strengthening can also occur. And uh, yes. I can say I've witnessed both in a sense. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, going back to the obelisk in 2001, like he touches the obelisk, he gets transported, he undergoes some kind of a evolution of consciousness as a result of that interaction. And then I think the next thing he does is bludgeon one of the other cavemen with, with a femur or something, right? So it's like you've got that initial... Well, you're conflating two things. So the Am guy I? at the end... Yeah, okay. I mean, the opening scene... I've, I've read the books, too. So the books are really, really good. Oh, the I'm, film, just, I'm like, just thinking of the movie. Oh, yeah, the, the okay. I'll just talk about the film. But it does a good depiction. So it starts off... The whole premise is like, look, here's the African plane and an alien item, which is interesting. And I've had like this had... Actually, this triggered part of my like Gnostic breakdown in high school reading this book because I was just like, oh, my God. This gets into binary digital symbolism and minimalism and weird shit. Anyway, I don't need to get into this. But anyway, this black monolith comes onto the scene. And if you're an ape, you touch it, like you kick in. It's almost like a high frequency, low frequency thing. Like certain apes like would be like, oh my God, this hurts my ears. I'm going away. It's like, you don't get the candy. And if you stuck around and you enjoyed this, you are on track, son, to become whatever. And then this continues to project forward. So it's like, oh, we found a monolith on the moon. So the trajectory that was laid forth by the monkeys that touched the monolith originally on the Serengeti begat the offspring that are now on the moon. That's the end of that trajectory. Now they've touched again, yeah. it's shoot into Jupiter. That's the next evolution. So that's yeah. Jupiter and the beyond. I mean, I, I think that is kind of a journey we're on. Uh, and then it gets into... I think these are, these are metaphor, uh, symbolic, you know, metaphors. But I, I think the idea of them being on the moon and there being a mon I think this is all part of, of the space narrative that... You know, I mean, he he perfected front screen projection with 2001 and then, uh, you know, NASA borrowed the technology <laughs> and then destroyed it because, you know, it's a painful process to rebuild. No, they didn't destroy it. They just kept using it and refining it and getting better and better and better at it and build their buoyancy pools. And, and uh, so I think this gets back to something something you were talking about before, Raphael, uh, that, that came into my mind. I don't remember what you were talking about, but I, I think of where we are as an energy extraction matrix of, you know, on one level. And you like the, the, the trick is to figure out how not to be extracted from, which requires knowledge and discernment. And how do you know what's real and what's not? And, and uh, so I, I said before that I think we exist in, in, a, in a physical material reality but that there's a, like a matrix reality that's been laid over that and call it a simulation or whatever. And the two bleed into one another because, because one can influence the other, <laughs> you know, there are trails in the sky and there are, is fluoride in the water and there was DDT sprayed on the crops. And there are all these things that affect our physical reality um, that, that are also extracting our energy in different ways. Um, but I think that, Underlying all of creation is is natural law, is the 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 fingerprint and the underlying pattern of all that is. And uh, and the more you start to understand about the way things really work, not not the facts that they, they put in the Rockefeller school books, but the the actual empirical science where there are scientific experiments that are performed where you can see a phenomenon, whether it's electrical or magnetic or it's plasma, or it has to do with the movement of water. And, and these, these things are, um, they're, they're repeatable, they're scalable, they're testable. You can interact with them and you can garner information from those interactions and you can reach conclusions. And, and 
we're speaking right now through technology that was created by people who are following the scientific method and are, are making all kinds of discoveries. And those discoveries are leading to this technology that we're using. So, so there's, you know, there's something to be said for the theoretical and the imagining, but, but also understanding monitors about to go off, um, understanding the world around us. It, it feels like so much of what we're fed in, in the books is specifically there to throw us off the, the scent of real history, what came before. Some, one of you mentioned Tartary before, uh, you know, the star forts, the mud floods, all these things that the mainstream will always tell you there's no evidence to support that. That's a loony, you know, theory. But if you take the time to research it, you find out that there's not just some evidence, there's avalanches of evidence for uh, anomalies in the official story that, that uh, after a while it, it, you, you have to just take a step back and go, what is real? And then, then what do you start with? You start with, in my opinion, what's around you, looking at the world around you, paying attention. You know, the flat earthers are talking about, well, we see too far, right? They can zoom in on things that have supposedly gone beyond the horizon. The horizon doesn't tilt. You know, you can go up in a plane and it's still flat. People think it's not because they're looking through a window that's actually bending the light. Uh, but amateurs have sent up balloons to 120,000 feet and the horizon is rising to eye level and it's flat. So does that mean we're in a flat earth? I don't know. The ancients, the, you know, their cosmologies were all the, the cosmic egg where you had a, an enclosure, but you had a flat disk in the center. Was that a flat disk floating in space with round spinning planets? No, it was an entirely different cosmology and the two are not compatible, right? But that, that cosmic egg theory, I resonate with it because the ancients had it, but it also is very closely related to the world that we live in when we start to look at cellular structure, we start to look at how things move and flow and vortexes and all. It's like, oh, it's as above, so below when you start looking at it like that. So I think personally, I'm, I'm, I'm of the mind that we're in some kind of a toroidal system that is an, it's an emanation, whether we're on the disk or whether we're, the, we're the, on the inside of that, you know, concave earth theories. Uh, all of these things are, are interesting to me. Um, and, and what, we can verify for ourselves is is what's most interesting i think like we're told that we're on a spinning ball <laughs> right but we don't feel movement oh but it's too big okay but what about that the, the storms are swirling in opposite directions depending on the hemisphere but yet as the earth turns all of the atmosphere is just velcroed to the outside of the earth and we don't experience thousand mile an hour winds down at the equator because it's all moving at the same time. Meanwhile, storms are spiraling every, every which way. So, but we don't feel any movement at all. And we've got all these different motions that are supposedly happening. We've got the procession, we've got the tilt on the axis, we've got the wobble, we've got the, 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 the traveling around the sun of 66,000 miles an hour, interesting number. And then we got the half million mile movement of the solar system uh, per hour uh, or yeah, per, per hour going around the, the spiral of the galaxy. So, but we don't experience any of that. The only, the only proof we have of that is NASA and the Jesuit telescopes. Well put. And, con and consensus reality. <laughs> so, um, and then there's the whole simulation theory. And sometimes I'm like, is it a simulation? Like, because sometimes it seems like the more you 
you go down these different study, you know, paths of, of study, um, it almost feels like the map is filling in <laughs> yeah, and, load, it seems and like loading slowly. Like and the more you simulation theory, but through terms that weren't technical like that, like spirituality right. of the past was describing potentially. Yeah, these, the, the these Hindu mechanics. spoke of Maya and, and that it was, you know, uh, was it Krishna or, or Indra or, you know, the, the, all of the, the different existences being born out of the mind of, of the God. Uh, and I think ultimately every, every, planet and every person and everything is all is all just a cymatic expression of the godhead whatever your your religion you know uh if, if you're a christian or you're a hindu or whatever it's you know the i see it as a god spoke creation into existence and there's this cymatic emanation that's coming from that utterance and and how many of them there are are they are they fractal and holographic are they nestled like tissue, like cells lining up in a tissue? All of the above, I think. Um, but I, I, the, the whole simulation theory leads people away from the, important, the importance of where they are here and now and the empirical reality we find ourselves in. And you can philosophize all you want, but if you whack yourself in the head with a hammer, I said this with, you know, in an interview the, the other day, you're going to feel a whole lot of pain, right? So you can try and deny physical reality. And, you know, it's like Zeno's paradox. Are you familiar with that? Zeno came to the, to the, the belief that you couldn't possibly get from here to there. But cut the in string or, infinitely. Because in order, what's that? Is this the one where he cuts the string infinitely in half or whatever? Or am I... Right. Yeah. In order to get from here to there, you have to get halfway there first. Right. Yeah. And then in order to get halfway there, you know, you've got to go half again and half again, and this can keep, you know, going down. Well, it's a wonderful thought game, but it doesn't change the fact that I can reach out and grab the doorknob with my hand. So, you know, there's, there's your debunk right there. So he can theorize and philosophize all he wants, but if the empirical reality contradicts that, then are you going to throw that out or are you going to like, okay, we just, well, nothing that's a is good real. example. You know, then you end up with a nihilistic about... philosophy. Right, right. I think it's with Tico, I've heard it called, uh, where you're talking about this kind of mind virus overlaying where it's like, as much as we think of consciousness as a gift and look how much we can think and explore and create, it's like, it's also a burden. It might be a schism in a sense. I mean, that's the whole Christian kind of paradigm where it's like we've broken from our certain congruence with reality and now we're like against the grain and you know freaking out about it. I don't know. There's a whole lot of ins and outs. Um, sometimes I'm more, like I said, optimistic and I'm like, oh, we're like, you know, Jonathan Edwards, uh, kind of who is a Christian thinker was like, we're in the mind of God. You were talking about being like machinations in the mind of Brahma or whatever, you know, that kind of model. Right. I don't, I, in a weird way, I don't even understand. Maybe it's not to get all at once, but, uh, I don't know if you're into anime. We've had an episode, um, once on Neon Evangelion and there's like apocalypse, uh, there's apocalypse, but it's a like Kabbalistic apotheosis at the end. And. I think that's kind of what we're experiencing, like various social groups over time. I mean, I, I, your audience will probably prefer this model. I could let me just put it this way: so you have all these people. Let's just well, I'm using the biblical kind of model, which I know you don't agree with, and I don't I'm not proselytizing with. I don't care if you agree. with I don't disagree with it. I, I'm yeah, yeah. You know, I, but here's I'm agnostic uh, right at this point yeah, when it comes to it. Uh, you could see this actually well articulated in Waking Life. There's a good kind of um, having. Um, situation being expressed but i thought of it in this model before so i'll just say it again so you have this situation where it's like oh look uh zero point abrahamic covenant happens and after that it evolves to a point where 
that's ossified so you have to have um you know a priest class kind of come into place or whatever and then that ossifies it's punctuation events i mean when we're talking about uh, you know and then jesus comes and now look at christians you're like they're terrible it's like yeah because we need like a rel- you know a holy spirit renovation and that doesn't have to be baptist you know who's been baptized uh uh particular like i think that's the whole point of the new age movement it's like we're all waking up to this i mean there's you know a lot of to this it's not just good or just bad you know people are taking advantage of this and selling and taking loose like you're saying like that happens for sure uh you know yeah. the nfl you know fucking the super bowl is an attention grabbing ritual sure like what's not ritual right like it's like we're stuck i mean in a philip k dick sense we're stuck in this weird time loop of the empire mm-hmm. so it's like uh but I guess what I was getting at is it seems like we're I, I feel like we're about to punctuate hopefully through a new thing. And it doesn't matter if Jesuits were modeling things and it doesn't matter if three letter agencies were co-opting movements or planting them. And it's like it was all it. I mean, the great work is it's almost a Pierre uh, Deschardins kind of thing. Teladar Chardon, I forget his name now exactly. But it's like it's all this one evolving thing towards the I mean, in a kind of sense, the uh, transcendental object at the end of time. And then it becomes self-aware, and we're like, "Wow, we were all here doing this thing. Pat yourself on the back for your part. What do you want to do now, Raphael?" I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on that because that's the Bash- I don't know if it's a Bashar model, but that's almost a monistic thing. Because when Christians are talking about the New Jerusalem or an Isaiah prophecy of you know reconciliation and all this stuff, the things that Christians hope for outside of like hyper Zionist material weirdness or whatever, like the spirit, like quote true Christians in my mind who are like, "We want like <laughs> you know." peace on earth and like love and you know that not just like you know nation states domineering in a new way um mm. then you know we'll, we'll be in a new headspace it'll be 5d i mean this is the new age talk now i can promise you there's people who are taking that language and using that programming for nefarious reasons just as much as i mean like you were saying like who you know you're kind of um questioning the veracity of the Cont- uh, the text of the Bible being like, you know, these are councils of men creating this. It's like, clearly it's an editing process, but it's like nothing ever falls from the sky, really. Uh, but then it gets into perception. Yeah, I've never, like, the simulation I've, never seen a, I've never seen a shooting star go up, for example. Uh, no, correct? I don't know how that ties into any model like flat or anything, but, um, <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the point, the point being that, um, if you start to, to look into empirical reality and, and what the actual evidence is, and I'm not talking about all the BS debunk stuff that the, the Mockingbird media is putting in front of people's faces while they simultaneously censor anyone who dares to ask certain questions. You can talk all day long about uh, aliens from your anus coming and doing probes, you know. <laughs> That's fine. No problem at all. You can come up with a, the wackiest, craziest theories as long as they involve aliens. That's fine. But you start talking about flat Earth, they're going to censor you. Oh, why? Well, because I, I call I call I'm not saying it's flat, and I'm not I don't identify as a flat earther, but I call flat Earth the skeleton key of conspiracy theories because when you start to dig into it, it literally shows you the overlaps and where all these different points start to connect, which is pretty profound because, you know, and then you start looking like that crazy guy with the corkboard that I was talking about before. But that's not uh, crazy though. You're just mapping ontological models and you see where the patch working over. Well, they I mean, say that, we're we all crazy, that but that's here. because the music that we dance to is not tuned to their ears. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, your, your vibe attracts your tribe, right? We're, yeah. we're the wide-eyed yeah. crazy people, you know, but, 
But uh, well, funny enough, I mean, that's what they'll say. But then when you dig into it, who are the people that are actually doing the empirical studies? They're, they're doing laser studies. They're looking at the optics. They're looking at all the different kinds of refraction. They're contemplating the idea that, wait a minute, how does, how does gas, pre gas pressure exist next to a 10 to the 7, negative 17 tor vacuum of space without getting sucked off into space? Oh, that's a gravitational gradient, you know? And okay, well, what about, what about gravity? Like, clearly things go down, but has gravity really been proven? Is that, was that a hotly debated topic back, back in the day? Because we had Newtonian gravity, and then that, that they just kind of, mm, okay, well, it wasn't mass attracting mass because of the size of these big spinning balls. It, it actually turns out to be Einsteinian space-time, which is gravity. So it's a whole, you know, people are blending these two models together and using whichever one fits their, their argumentation at the time. And they don't realize that oftentimes they're just spitting out a bunch of pre-programmed uh, responses and, and that uh, they've never actually tested any of the things that they believe. And, and that's a, we are that's pitiful a, for that. Ignorant are we? <laughs> and just to, them for they do not know. I mean, it, that's the situation we find ourselves in, I feel. Well, ignorance until yeah, until you look for yourself so just uh, allow me to shout out to globebusters and also kind of underline what you mentioned because as this is also my experience from the podcast and shows i've listened to is that those that are oftentimes mocked let's say as flat earthers without any since even though nobody as i understand within that community believes it's a flying pizza disc you know so just by the way but they actually did yeah studies it's, it's like sophistry they misrepresent the argument it, they straw man it so they don't actually actually go and show scientifically what they claim is is fact exactly and just the same thing happening with the whole sea crisis right now to the ultimate extreme but anyways just underlining right. kind of same this... thing happening in the medical world exactly yeah. and just underlining this line of thought that there is some obvious manipulation from what i understood i believe it was what's his name bob who mentioned mm -hmm. that they did this movie or had some producers like join them and make a movie about their experimentation and so on all nice and behind, handy behind until the then curve. Yeah. exactly until then suddenly after it was already done, it got sold off to Netflix. They put a huge spin on it just to make fun of it. And so everyone, you know, can have a laugh without actually, you know, looking <laughs> at it yeah. actually at all, you know, so. Yeah. And so, so Bob became the scapegoat for the entire Flat Earth community. You had half of that documentary was, was taken up by Patricia Steer and Mark Sargent's love affair. Like, like, who cares? Let's go into the science. Let's go into the real salient arguments that the flat earthers are presenting and show why they're all false, right? If you're gonna, if you're gonna ultimately debunk the whole thing. So they tried to present that as an impartial analysis of the flat earth community, but it was really a hit piece and it was a sophisticated hit piece. And, and uh, I think the person who's gone through that the best is actually Rodrigo Ferrari Nunes because he did a three and a half hour analysis. This is a man who's uh, got published scientific papers. He's a PhD in anthropology. And he started to study the flat earth movement from an anthropological perspective and went in and, and started looking at the arguments and looking at people who were saying and interviewing a lot of the, the, the biggest names in the, the community. And so when, when that came out, he was just like, this is utter bunk. You know, there's, it's clear that they're, this is a smear campaign. 
but they're trying to present it as, as something else, you know? And when you see the flat earther talking, the camera's slightly out of focus and moving, but when it's one of the experts talking, it's high definition, nice lighting with a nice like sophisticated looking background behind them, you know, yeah. and they're, they're misrepresenting the testing that was happening. And, and then um, there was this thing with the ring laser gyro and they, they, they started claiming after the fact that, that Bob Nodell had proved the spin of the earth with his ring laser gyro. Right, right. Oh, right. Which makes the flat earthers look like real idiots, except wait a minute, nobody's ever actually proven the spin of the earth. And if Bob Nodell actually had, then he should be, lined up for a Nobel Prize because he's he's done something scientifically that nobody's ever done. But the ridiculous thing is that he wasn't even the one who had the gyro or did the experiment in the first place. So they caught him on camera, you know, and it's like this little hidden camera and they, you know, that was the big reveal that and uh, Jaren's botched experiment towards the end, which had everything to do with the fact that they went out on a really hot day where there's a lot of evaporation, a lot of moisture in the air, it was creating the greatest amount of atmospheric occlusion that you could ask for, which is exactly what Netflix wanted because they wanted to misrepresent the, the test. And, and they never covered the fact that he went back later during the winter when it was like cold, you know, cold conditions and got a completely different result. So it's been the same thing every step of the way. And the reason I know a lot about this community is because, like I said, my friend, a uh, good friend is conspiracy music guru, uh, who's a musician. He's a comedian. And he's hilarious. Uh, you know, you said, Jim, you haven't, um, you're not familiar with him, but you might I'll have seen videos it. of his that, that, and not realize that you were seeing him. He, uh, I'll totally I'll let you, check I'll it let out. you explore it. But, but yeah. uh, he was invited over to Denver in 2018, I think. Um, I think that's when it was uh, to, to perform. You know, he was like the, the uh, the key performer <laughs> because uh, his music was so so loved by that community and uh, he's my best friend so I went over you know as support crew and it was uh, on on my way to California to visit my family and and I got to meet a lot of these people in person and they were they were like Bob Nodell for example and and others and you know genuine uh, people who were asking very valid and interesting questions and then you get the people who oppose them online, you know, like the Simon Dans and the Professor Daves, and and they're constantly mis, mis you know, representing the argument and using all kinds of fallacies while simultaneously claiming to be staunch supporters of of science and defenders of the scientific method. And we got to put these these ridiculous flat earthers out of business because they're they're going to corrupt the the minds of of you know, innocent, naive people and get them believing the most ridiculous thing that you could possibly believe. Projection. Really, Projection. Yeah, I was about to say, I was about to say, that's, that's the really, because this gets really quick. Yeah, hypocrisy much. <laughs> well, everybody's a hypocrite, but William Blake said, yeah. hell is hypocrisy on earth. I mean, so we're in hell in a way where we're being misaligned like that, but that's kind of where it gets tricky because it gets into deeper kind of, I mean, one would say maybe, um, mystery schools like or you know religions buddhism whatever have been trying to tell you how like ways to try to kabbalistic you know, inversion <laughs> anything but then these might be psyops too <laughs> so it's like it's tricky because in doing gene keys we've had richard right on uh he did the gene keys and um which is kind of a system i mean what's not a system right but um he's also a virgo actually stellium also you'd appreciate him um but in any event he's you know he's said something in them to the point where it's obvious uh it's the cliche of like you know all the roads lead to this place 
and I don't want to be that universalist where I'm like, it's all relative. It doesn't matter. I think it probably ultimately is, but in some weird way, it's like somebody's nirvana is going to come through drinking the shit ton of out of like alcohol. Somebody's going to like do acid and get it. Somebody's going to be a staunch, you know, um, somebody's going to be a Bacchus. Somebody's going to be a pan. Somebody's going to be. (laughs) And it's weird because I think if I, I mean, ultimately I think we're going to laugh one day and be like, we had so much more control I don't know because what you're the way you're painting it makes that's how I'm not saying I'm past it. I think I was more prone towards um, fearful isn't even the right word. Just like worried, like I'm like oh my god, all this stuff. And Raphael has actually very much helped me um, kind of come to a place. And if it's like an opiate for my psyche, that's fine. It is what it is. But it's like at levels like there's karma and there's you know things playing out that we can't understand that are not geopolitically driven or not scarcity resource driven or are not you know racially driven anyway it's it's a lot more unified than we think and we pay attention to the details it's kind of like tripping you know it's like it's all happening at once and it's like what are you focusing on well i would like to mention though at the same time what i always like to harp on uh in parallel let's say just all the things that you mentioned mike in terms of I think it's super relevant to be aware of all of those psyops and be aware of who's playing yeah, what side, who's coming along with what agenda, even though it may yes. ultimately, in my view at least, still be a hologram and a game and ultimately all everything being made out of the body of the one creator itself. So therefore, all the separation is just, you know, you know the game we're playing. Uh, however, still, even within that framework, I totally want to like, you know, weed out, let's say, all the bad apples you know by the fruits you shall know them um because then we can use or use we can just even just enjoy this plane of existence you know without having all these whatever you want to call them psychic vampires or whatever trying to siphon off your energy and the controller factor trying to program you and all of that and it certainly seems maybe also with the overdrive we've gone into and maybe it'd be curious to see what you think about this mike just like jim said that we may be at some sort of a punctuation uh, point uh, event the dawning of the age of aquarius <laughs> yeah well yeah but the, 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 um, the what's the alternative yeah. you know <laughs> yeah better a dawning of an age of aquarius than i don't know whatever the, whatever this crazy world seems to be heading towards um well i mean this gets back into what i was talking about before i think with discernment and in, in order to make good decisions uh and not you know go down paths that are going to lead you astray you have to you have to study a lot and you have to you have to learn how to recognize fallacies you know we're not taught uh logic in school why do you think hmm maybe they don't want us to know logic this gets into Jan Irvin's work again he talks about the trivium you know it's a grammar rhetoric and logic being being cornerstones of of uh of real learning that we're not given because you know it's one thing to be taught facts that you memorize. It's another thing to be taught how to learn and how to question and, uh, and how to recognize fallacious reasoning and, and sophistry and, and people who are, you know, engaging in logical fallacies, sometimes without even realizing it or knowing, or sometimes intentionally because they want to mislead you. And um, so that, that gets in a bit to, to this whole idea of, of what is real and um, you know, that ties into the work that, that I've, that I've done over the last few years now uh, with regards to the mountain and, and the, the rocks and everything, which we haven't talk, talked about at all in this, in this conversation. But um, at some point I stopped having faith in 
um, the um, the high priests of scientism and started. It is a high priest card. I just want to high priestess because the whole point is scientism is almost this hierophant energy where it's like here's the truth, here's what it is. Don't question it. Ten commandments. High yeah, and the hierophant is is the uh, it's the centaur, right? Half man, half animal, and I think it's. Oh no, that's yeah. Yeah, it's a. Uh, oh, there was something I was I was thinking of. I would something. love to hear I you and Rodrigo. I, I totally <laughs> fucked you up. You and Rodrigo are both Virgos, um, and like you know, right, like there's certain people I you, I'll have to go listen to those episodes of your guys talking because I'm sure that was pretty uh, covered a lot of territory. We'll make sure uh, to a link lot it. Of clarity, yeah. Um, high uh, high pixel. <laughs> refresh rate on those conversations no doubt because two virgos I mean, he's got a third house i mean astrologically he's just very talkative he could you know talk for hours oh, by yeah. himself so i'm sure you guys had an interesting chat well, so i, met, I mean are... yeah i met him first in um in barcelona um in in person and uh alex was invited to a flat earth convention there and it's only a five-hour drive so we went up the coast and he he performed uh, a couple of songs at the end of this weekend and Rodrigo was there and uh, we hit it off right away and started talking about all kinds of stuff. And he, uh, he had, <clears throat> he has a very, <clears throat> he has a very broad knowledge base uh, with all of his academic study, but all, also his personal interests. And um, so when he started to hear about the work that I had done on the mountain, that was really mind blowing. You guys were talking about uh, book of Enoch earlier and you've mentioned giants several times, but but the Book of Enoch specifically mentions titans, and uh, it actually spells out the size of the titans, three thousand L's, and that comes to roughly about about a mile high, creatures that were a mile high in this in this book, which was referenced in the Bible. <laughs> so so it's it's from the same time period. Whether whether or not they're both manipulated texts and they're there to mislead, I don't know. But this is something that I didn't even know about until I started to look into this subject more. And Rodrigo found it very interesting from the beginning because he was familiar with the work, or not the work, but the, the tales of the Salish Indians in North America, who are this tribe that, that discusses what are known as the transformer, <clears throat> transformer stones. <coughs> I think I'm... ODing on the yerba mate. I need to get some regular water. Um, yeah, so uh, the, the transformer stones are these beings that can turn into stone and then turn back into moving beings. And this is a tradition that they have. And there are certain places that are, that are known as sacred sites. And so Rodrigo is familiar with this. And I hadn't heard of it. So when he saw the work that I was doing on the mountain, he was like totally blown away because... I approached it following the scientific method as, as best I could, because I knew from the beginning when I first started to wake up to what I was seeing and, and finding. Are, are, do you even know what I'm talking about right now, Jim? <laughs> Much less so than I probably should. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I'm like, I didn't, I, yeah. We've done a good job of avoiding the primer. If you want to go into this now. We yeah, we're dancing around the cool. whole. So why, why is this guy even on your show? Hey, <laughs> cool. Is, is he? <laughs> Here we are. So, yeah, so um, when I started to question the nature of our physical reality uh, more than I ever had, because I started to realize that some of the fundamental premises 
uh, about the nature of our physical reality were built uh, as a house of cards, that was when I was like, okay, well then what is real and what is the real scenario here? And initially there were a lot of things in the whole flat earth uh, movement that made a lot of sense to me. And the more I tried to debunk it, the, the deeper into it I got because the, the evidence that I was turning to, to try and throw it out was, was hogwash. And um, so <clears throat> tying that into, then I started looking into all kinds of other avenues of, of research that were out there. And that led me to things like Tartaria and mud floods and star forts and hidden history. And, and then uh, also channels that were touching on the whole mud fossil topic, which is the idea that fossilization can happen much, much more quickly. And that led to places like um, Mud Fossil University and Flat Earth Nation, who were two Christian guys that are kind of diametrically opposed and, and at war with each other, both claiming to be the, the progenitors of the, the ideas. And uh, one is a, a staunch hellfire and damnation Bible preaching kind of guy who uh, is very, very much a flat earther. In fact, his channel is called Flat Earth Nation. And then you've got the other guy who hates flat earthers with a passion and is a vehement anti-flat earther. He's very much into space and has all kinds of theories about, you know, the stuff that NASA is presenting on top of the mud fossil theory. And I never quite understood how those could gel because when you dig into the Bible, it appears to be a flat earth book in many respects, because there's so many passages that, that refer specific to, specifically to its, its immobility and its, you know, that it's not in movement and firmaments and, stuff like firmaments that. and yeah, yeah you know it's like and and uh you know Werner von braun's tombstone <laughs> exactly my thought at this moment mr yeah. mr paper mr paperclip himself you know um and uh so anyway um yeah, let's see. So the Book of Enoch and uh, looking at, at fossils differently and understanding that maybe that a lot of the rocks that we see weren't formed over hundreds of millions of years like we're taught, but are actually um, the remains of creatures, big and small, that lived not so long ago. Because Rogers, his main thing is the mud fossils, and he's got DNA evidence supposedly to prove it. He's got three different DNA tests that were done at a supposedly reputable laboratory, which I've never dug into or looked into. Um, but you can download the PDFs from his website and they seem to be pretty authentic. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there that has to do with chemistry that I don't know anything about. I've studied a lot of science. I've studied a lot of anatomy and histology, which is the study of tissues and different things in my chiro chiropractic education but I didn't go very deep into things like chemistry or, um, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So um, he had these, these, he, he talks you and talks and he's got, you telling him. <laughs> you're like, I'm sorry, I'm not the master of the knowledge. It's like, it's okay, bro. Yeah. But he's, he's got, he's, he's super confident and he's one of these guys that he's right about everything. And that always puts me off people when they, you know, there's no room for doubt. This is what it is. This is what I say it is unequivocally um nah. that's sketchy territory but but i i i've learned to i'm a selective sifter and i and i and i am a dot connector and i don't take anything at face value and if you know i, I if something fits with something else i take that puzzle piece and i move on and you know try and make sense of it all and uh so mud fossil thing that made sense to me 
but then he started talking about this 900 mile long dragon in the Sahara Desert. Uh, and, and he does so many videos on this. So I was a little, um, you know, amazed by it because the more he went into it, I was like, okay, there's, there's a plausibility there. And it seemed to have tie-ins to Plato's writings um, where Plato discusses this great battle between the, Le the Leviathan and the Behemoth and actually uh, states the location according to Roger Spiro. I've never checked the primaries myself, but um, and that supposedly these gigantic be beings were fighting it out in this exact place where Roger's uh, looking at them on Google Earth in, uh, in the Sahara Desert. So I was like, okay, well, you know, there's another thing to just kind of keep in the back of the mind. Uh, and then uh, Jay Dreamers did this video called Petrified Titans, and he was synthesizing Titan, Titan research, mythology, religion, mud fossil universities work in, into one big uh, package and showing a bunch of interesting uh, geological formations and pictures like what you were describing before, you know, uh, someone lying on, looks like the mountain range looks like somebody lying on their back, you know, and some of the pictures were very convincing and others were like, eh, maybe, you know, but then he had some pictures of uh, a couple, there's an island in Hawaii and then there was another one that, that uh, uh, was a rock structure in, in Iceland and they looked so so much like elephants, just crazy. But I think I've seen must... an elephant rock that looked like an elephant a lot. And then a snake yeah. in Thailand. I was like, that looks like a snake. That is incredibly convincing. The Naga in Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. like, yeah. That's I mean, like, yeah. watch. Tell me how that formed with sedimentary layering. Give me a break. Oh, erosion, you know, water runoff. No way. No way those patterns came from that, you know. Oh, so then what's it going to be? Well, it must have been lava, right? Lava just miraculously dried in that way. That's the same thing they say about. Uh, Devil's Tower, you know, it's like lava pushed upward and then it, you know, cooled in, in this way that made these perfect hexagonal, you know, shapes. Or maybe they're not perfect, but I don't know. To me, that looks like something that grew. It looks biological. Uh, a lot, of, like the, a tree a a lot of the tree stumps out there, you know, a lot of the plateaus look a lot like tree stumps. Now, there's other guys who think that they're mining remains, that they've, they've just you know, carved away at everything and all that's left is that plateau, but it's showing all the telltale signs of a, of a grand scale mining operation. I think that that's true in some scenarios, but I think in other scenarios, it's trees. And I think in other scenarios, it's Titans. And uh, those, those uh, the island and the, the Iceland thing that I saw were just like, that was the penny drop for me because the, the town that I live in here in Spain has this big mountain that looks exactly like an elephant. And it's just, it, it looks like an elephant lying on its stomach with the head tilted back. And there's a sloping, you know, uh, protuberance that comes off and becomes a plateau where the, the, the front limbs or the trunk would be. And there's a big cave with an eye right where the, right where the, the eye should be. And, uh, and that, you know, so that gets into the realm of pareidolia, which is this idea that we're seeing things that aren't really there. <laughs> You know, you, you look at a structure and, it, oh, it looks like it looks a certain way. Yeah. At three o'clock in the afternoon, when the shadows hit it just right, then it looks like a face or a person. But from any other angle or any other time of day, it's just a bunch of rock.
However, as far so, as I understand the way you looked at it, you look at specific anatomical features as well, whereas it wouldn't matter where the light is coming from, right? If it's like very specific. Uh, right. Yeah. Markers. So when I, the first thing I did was I got on Google Earth and I started t touring around this mountain in 3D, um, which is an amazing feature that Google Earth allows you to do in some places where you've got the actual 3D. Like a lot of places around the world, when you go down and you try and go into 3D mode, it's just all flat. But in, in areas of high population or tourist attractions, and you know, they've got a much higher definition resolution of the, the satellites going over and taking all their pictures, right? The balloon, satellites, whatever you want to call them. Um, so uh, yeah, so I'm zooming around this thing and, and it's like the head has a head shape. The, there's curves inward where the neck would become the shoulder. Uh, there's a deep canyon right between the legs. The eye is in the right location. In the, where the ear is, there's a quarter moon uh, discoloration. That's so it's it's white or gray the whole exterior of the of the mountain. Uh, but wherever the rock has broken away, it's reddish, which which is like okay. So if the rock was removed, well. Could that have been an ear attachment? <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, right off the bat, after like an hour of, of scouring this mountain on Google Earth, I had like 10 anatomical correlations. And that was in 3D. That wasn't me looking at a mountainside going, oh, it looks like a face, right? That was that was like, okay, this is this is bizarre. And the eye was properly located and it was properly shaped. So then I noticed this, this is when it, cause I'm like, okay, I got to get out the anatomy books. There's a, you know, I had, I have, I have human anatomy. I don't have elephant anatomy here, but um, I had some really good anatomy books and I started pulling them out because I knew that the eye socket is comprised of seven bones and those bones meet in places that are known as sutures. That and then they're seven again, by the way. Yeah, and then there are channels going through those bones that, that permit the blood vessels and the, the optic nerve to travel. So uh, I had been at that cave already seven or eight times in my, in my uh, you know, years. I've been here 10 years now. And uh, I was always amazed because the rocky structures in that cave, which I have loads of, of footage filmed inside and going up to the cave. So you can see all this in, in the Unveiling the Titan series that I did. It's a, it's a five, it's about to be a six part series. And the, the, um, the first one was just an overview. The second one is of the eye. And so I, I said, okay, I don't want to come off as an absolute idiot thinking, hey, this big, you know, one mile tall, three mile long mountain is really an elephant. It doesn't just look like one. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's a good way to get people to roll their eyes and walk away, you know? Uh, so I said, if there's any truth to this with the eye so well preserved, I should be able to, to get in there and um, find some anatomical correlations that are just really specific and can't be explained away. And those combined with the other things that I was finding around, you know, as far as the macro structure of the mountain, that, that would, you know, get into, hard to explain by coincidence kind of levels already. Because every time you add a specific thing to that list, you're increasing the odds against finding such a, a feature. So that's, that's how I've approached it. I don't have a scientific experiment that I can do. I can't compare it to other Titans and 
you know. Um, so I had a laundry list of, of features that I would expect to find. One of them was the, the, sub, uh, the, the infraorbital foramen, which is a little hole that exists just below our eyes. And it's right in the middle in the maxilla bone just below our eyes. Well, in elephants, it's just slightly in front of the eye, especially if the head is tilted backward. And I spotted that on Google Earth already um, when, um, when I was looking. And that's exactly, the, so there's a cave, there's like the big cave, which is the eye. Then there's a small cave going through and opening up exactly where the infraorbital foramen would be. And, and if you see the thumbnail on the Unveiling a Titan series, the fifth of the videos, you can see a photograph looking through that. And it's me and uh, Andreas, is, <laughs> Andreas is in that picture. Um, oh, so I definitely looking, have seen some of the because I was about to say, has Andreas visited you? I think I've seen some footage of that. So that makes sense. It's coming full circle now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, I've witnessed you guys visit a star fort or a cave. And I think that's what he was talking about because I vaguely recalled talking yeah. about this. So theater. that was, I featured there. that footage of him and I going and, and Victor was there also. <laughs> uh, we, had, we had so much fun. So I showed them, we hiked up there. I showed them the eye. I showed them these features that I had already identified and laid out in the second video. Because in that first visit up to the eye, I, I found in the space of about an hour or two hours, I found between eight and 10 different anatomical features that matched with, with an eye socket, <laughs> which is like crazy. Like between the, the frontal bone above the eyes and the maxilla below the eyes, those two bones meet right in the inside of the eyes in a line, which is called a suture. And, and that suture, uh, if you look at an elephant skull, and I show this in the second video, there's, a, there's, there's an overlap of rock in the cave that, that is in a line that is exactly where it should be. I mean, that's incredibly specific. There are channels going back that are exactly where the optic nerve should go. And then later on, we discovered the, that, that there, uh, a, a rocky structure that I theorized was the eyeball, but I didn't have any evidence for it. It's this cresting wave structure that sticks up and, and below it are all these clumpy rocks. Uh, and I was like, wow, I wonder if that could be the remains of the eyeball. Well. Well, later on, when I was there with Andreas and Victor, one of the two of them, I don't remember which, pointed out that the whole backside of this structure was covered in a 10-inch thick layer of crystal. And when, I, when he pointed that out, I was like, I never noticed that. And I just, my, my brain went, Phew! because if you look at the structure of the backside of an eyeball, and I've got pictures of this in the videos, you've got the eye, which is filled with, a, it's got a gelatinous substance in the center of the eye. And then you have the optic nerve coming out the back. And then you have a big, fatty, clumpy portion that attaches the optic nerve to the sclera, which is the white of the eyes. And that whole structure is fat. So I already had the theory from the fourth video that I did, which was on the histology of Montgo, which is the tissues, that fat petrifies into crystal. And I believe that that's true of blood plasma, and I believe that it's true of, uh, of any fatty uh, material on a Titan is going to, is going to petrify into, into to, uh, quartz or into some, some kind of crystal-like quartz. Um, 
So that, that moment when they showed this crystalline structure and not only was the whole backside of this cresting wave. And when you see the, when you see the side-by-side -side pictures of what an eyeball looks like and what the footage that we got up there shows, you'll, you'll see that I'm not, <laughs> I'm not just cherry picking because that's what the critics are going to say. No, first, you're rather scrutinous. first pareidolia, right? Yo, you're just seeing things you want to see in the clouds or in the mountains. Not pareidolia when you've got a ton of, of very, very specific coincidences that line up to anatomy. It's no longer pareidolia. Now it's a potential phenomenon. Now the next criticism is cherry picking, right? Well, you're finding phenomena or you're finding empirical evidence and then you're bending your, your story to, to fit that evidence, right? That's, so it's an intellectual dishonesty that can happen either unconsciously because you just want to believe it and so you're convincing yourself that it's true and so you're making shit up without even realizing you're doing it or it's, it's sophistry, it's an intention to mislead people by picking specific evidence that's going to match your ridiculous belief. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. so, so in order to, to you know, sidestep that criticism, I tried to address it up front and I talk about all these things in my videos. And uh, you know, I talk about, from the very first video I was talking about pareidolia and then I was talking about cherry picking and I was talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect as well, which they're also accusing me of because like, well, go study some chemistry, go study some geology, right? You think this is real? Why don't you just go take a basic course in geology? Well, I'll tell you why, because if what I've found is true, major cornerstones of geology are not. <laughs> so why am I going to go and study what they tell me? Because it's just going to get me thinking exactly like you and then I would never have noticed any of these things if I hadn't taken the time to go, are the things that we've been told about the nature of rocks and, and petrogenesis, which is the formation of rocks, are they even true? Is, is there a basis in fact? You know, And they tell us all these stories of hundreds of millions of years of sedimentary layers that are then pushed upward by tectonic activity, break off into smaller and smaller bits and then erode and become smooth. And, uh, and then that's how we got all of our rocks, either that or volcanoes or metamorphic rock, which is a blend of the two where the layers are pushed down to the earth's mantle, where it's so hot that they literally start to morph and change. And then you get this metamorphic rock like granite and marble and all these. And that's how, you know, those are the three kinds of rocks and that's how it all came about. But then you see all this, what I, I've coined the term biogeology where you start to look at these rocky structures around the world. And in the last couple of years, I've seen the most amazing pictures of stuff that I never had a clue existed, never in any school books that I saw as a kid, you know, hmm, wonder why. Were they not discovered? Were they not known about? No, but they're definitely not promoted because they're really hard to explain because they look a whole lot more like muscle and bone and all kinds of other things that uh, can't, can't be explained in my mind by, yeah, by the official models. So yeah, scales like the, like the Naga that we were talking about in Thailand. Um, I, in the video with Rodrigo that we did uh, that we, we started talking about, there's a researcher who saw my work and, and he just, his mind went because he was living in Thailand and he was seeing all the same rocks that I was showing and a whole bunch I wasn't showing. 
but on a much, much grander scale. And now we get into the fractal thing with, with uh, uh, Roger Spurs' work with the dragon in the Sahara. Well, I've got no problem accepting that because if there's a fractal holographic nature to reality, then if there's a three mile dragon or a three mile elephant, then the I've got no problem. I got no problem with a nine nine hundred mile one. You know that that exists perhaps as well, and there seemed to be some evidence for it. You know, I, he wasn't he wasn't a boots on the ground researcher. In fact, he doesn't even show his face on videos, which I think is suspicious personally. Um, uh, don't suspect me of anything. I came out of camera earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I'm not talking so about you. Things, I'm talking so about Roger from Mud Fossils University. Gotcha. Mm. Two things coming up. Um, who has never about. mentioned my work to his following, which oh, is well, very fascinating you, because dude. I've like, I've mentioned on? his work on many many occasions, and he has never addressed any of the work that I've done on the mountain or the heartstones in any of his videos. I think he's mentioned like little tiny things, but he's never. He's never featured the information in any way. And he and I have had debates about it, gone back and forth. And he's like a flat earth hater. And flat, uh, there's a lot of flat earthers that love the stuff that I've done. Uh, a lot of Christians that love the stuff I've done. A lot of just thinking, rational people who are looking at what I'm presenting and going, wow, this makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people who've sent me messages and, and letters just thanking me because, wow, you've, you've really changed my relationship to nature and to, to the world around me and to how I see the world and how I see the stones. And I, I'm forever grateful for this and indebted to you. And it's like, okay, I hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> you know, then I'm, then I'm part, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my delusion with, with others. And this well, is what somebody wrong, like, so it's okay. So we're all in the dream, right? Uh, there's a, there's a few I don't know. I is it a dream? Culturally. Maybe God's um, dream, but I don't, I have a dream so, experience and then I have a waking experience and, it sure doesn't feel like a dream, you know. But anyway, um, the there's a game called God of War, which is really fun. It's actually an origin story for Loki. Through it's complicated. It's Norwegian kind of mythologies and stuff. Very fun PlayStation uh, game. It but touch, anyway, touches on Titans, right? Exactly. I was getting into that. That's like yeah. my my awareness and stuff. Like you're actually in yeah. the eye socket of a giant. You have level. you have Attack on Titan. You have uh, which I was going to bring you know, up. Yes. You have Jack yes. and the Beanstalk. You have uh, Paul Bunyan. You have dragons in general. Like I think I think the dinosaur narrative is to hide from the truth of giants and and titans and dragons. That's my take. Is that like they don't want us to know the real history. All of the, or not all, but many civilizations around the world have dragon mythology. It may be a metaphor for some kind of a plasma apocalypse, high energy event, because Lichtenberg figures look a lot like dragons. And when you see, you know, electrodes hit wood and burn, it burns in this fractal pattern, just like trees grow and our yeah, lungs grow. So, so there's your, yeah, Mandelbrot set, fractal, holographic, everything. So dragon may be a metaphor for some kind of a grounding out of, of plasma and some kind of a you know end of the world as we know it event, or maybe there were real dragons. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there were real dragons also, but I'm sure that the other stuff also probably happened. Um, and when you get into Thunderbolts project and the Primer fields and, yeah, and so all these the guys, way. I yeah. think that they're they're not flat earthers, but they're they're putting out a lot of great information. In fact, Mungo Jup has got some of the best videos in support of my research. I've reached out to him, but I've never heard back. And he, I don't know if he even knows of my work, but he's done some videos on instant petrification. 
and different theories behind how that can happen and different examples in the fossil record of things that can't be explained in the mainstream geological explanation. Um, so so that, that's fascinating research, Mungo Jep. I, I can recommend his, uh, his instant petrification videos. Um, yeah, so, so Dunning-Kruger effect, I've mentioned that before, that's when you know just enough about something that, that you think you're an expert and you really aren't, and so then you can start to make a bunch of I claims must be that are- I fully guilty of that. I am like so, so badly affected by this effect, yeah. clearly. Yeah. We all are sometimes. I well, think, I don't feel you know. bad about it because I'm a Gemini, but it's whatever. Um, I, yeah, no. I, coined the, I coined the term paradigm blindness. Um, and I think that we all suffer from that in different categories of life. And, and uh, when it comes to cosmology and our realm and everything, I think most people are suffering from that in just about every category of life because <laughs> they don't really understand the nature of, of how this place that we're living in is functioning, how it's run, who's running it why they're running it the way they are, why, why are some things fakes? Why is there such a, an attack on things like alternative medicine, which was the real and original medicine, all in favor of what we're getting now, which is, you know, is, is, it, is there a solid foundation in science there, really, behind what's, what's happened over the last year and a half? You know, I'll pose that as a question. Um, not to be answered here, though. Well, <laughs> That's a boring not, subject I'm tired of talking about. <laughs> no, you're, you're cool, yeah. Well, thank um, you. I just want to make sure we're already uh, well past two hours, so we may also wind it down. But I just want to make sure in your own line of reasoning, Mike, you got through all the effects, basically, you want to make sure to divert. I mean, I guess you don't really have to explain it in that way to our audience, but it's a nice walkthrough. So I just want to yeah, make I mean, sure you've got that the most open-minded audience that that that's out there. I I would imagine based on the, your subject matter, um, I someone once said, you know, keep your mind open, but don't open your mind so far that your brain falls out. You know, and so so we should be skeptical. We should we should attempt to exercise discernment, not just buy every crazy theory that comes our way, and uh, make use of an understanding about things like logic and, uh, you know, the scientific method, the real scientific method, <laughs> um, you know, which in order to even apply it, you have to have some understanding about logical fallacies and, and, and understand when people like, you know, there's so many, so many flaws in, in the, the cosmological model that we've all been fed and we're taught not to question it. And if you dare to question it, you're the dumbest person alive. That's a logical fallacy. That's a that's appeal to ridicule. I don't have to I don't have to address your art, argument because it's stupid and you're an idiot. Oh, that's an ad hominem attack. There's another logical fallacy. I'm going to attack the person who's delivering the argument rather than attack their argument. Then I'm going to build up a straw man, which is I'm going to pretend that that your argument is one thing that it actually isn't, so that then I can tear that argument down and call you an idiot, <laughs> you know? And, and so these are not scientific method. This, this is sophistry method. And, and people, it, you know, it's amazing. Like um, Simon Dan did a, did a video on my channel. And uh, really, wow. <laughs> you didn't see that? No, it's a, no, it's a 12 minute expose. <laughs> but he, is he and, linking your channel actually, so that people can really go check it out, like yourself? Oh yeah. Oh, and boy, did they! Oh nice. man. Well, and uh, what I 
Well, yeah, what I can tell you yeah, is I mean, that's a segment the comments, of the population but... <laughs> that I have no interest in entertaining because <laughs> yeah, right, right. they are people who have not only not opened their mind, but their mind is in such a tightly closed box that anything that isn't what they already believe couldn't possibly be true. And and this guy, Simon Dan, he's got 450,000 followers and he's presenting himself as a great champion of the scientific method. And he's out there to take down the flat earthers and these, these pseudo-scientific quacks that are misleading the herd and all these things. And, and he uses mockery and he uses all kinds of fallacious reasoning and, uh, and, and uh, you know, laugh tracks. And, and uh, you know, he's just, the guy is a shill. He's either completely paradigm blind and he truly believes in what he's doing, or he's paid to mislead people because even if the flat earth is not true. They have some very, very interesting arguments and people could grow and learn a great deal by actually engaging in scientific debate and entertaining ideas they've never ever entertained before so that then they could, they could see why the things that they believe are, are true are actually true. Uh, you know, we were taught that Aristosthenes measured the, the size of the earth with, with two sticks at a certain distance apart and the shadows were different here than they were here at the same time of day. They never tell us how they measured out the distance or how they synced their measurement times so that they were, you know, okay, maybe they used a sundial or whatever. But, but what they don't tell you is that you get the exact same results with a smaller, nearer sun. Hmm. All the cosmological models that are flat earth models the co you know the, the cosmic egg they have a they have the sun and the moon which are smaller and they're closer and they're within the firmament so to present the flat earther's argument as a disk floating in space and the sun is going around the disk like this and how do you explain day and night and how do you explain seasons and all these things that's that's like that's ridiculous you're misrepresenting their arguments so they uh this happens all the time. And this is exactly what Simon Dan did with my channel. He took the first video, he paused it in certain places where he could mock things. Then he made one claim about something, which is something that I had already addressed in the, in the video thoroughly, but he misrepresented the, the claim without, uh, without even going into what I said. And then, then he showed my list of coincidences, which was like 40 long of different anatomical features with the mountain. And uh, he picked out one, misrepresented it, and said, because that is not true, I'm not even going to bother to look at the rest of this stuff. So he threw out the other 39 based on the fact that the one that he chose to look at in that moment had to be false based on his worldview. So, I mean, this is the opposite of the scientific method. And he's not recognizing any of the, I might have made errors. He could go into my research and he could show me why it was wrong and start picking through it, but that wasn't done at all. So that, that's, you know, that some sent a wave of pursue the spirit of knowledge with like, open, you know, a heart of exploration. And some people just want to bludgeon you with correctness. That's a spirit difference. That's a whole different topic, but like this guy wasn't interested necessarily in expounding his map. He just wants to be right. Yeah. And he's got a following, you know, he's making good money doing what he does. Yeah, but he's not coming out of nowhere. I mean, he's been popular a long time ago and I'm not even English or anything, but he's like an old guy, no? And he's like built up fame no, over years, no? Or no, is this, he's, is he's a younger he's, guy. He's oh, maybe just, I'm guy. mixing him up with someone else. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah, well. Um, 
No, there's several guys. There's a guy, a black guy named Greater Sapien. There's Professor Dave. He's got well over a million followers now. You know, it's like these guys would never have this kind of following if it hadn't been for the Google algorithms. Of course. Two and a half, three years ago, because it was it was growing exponentially at that point. People were starting to really look at it. And now you just have a bunch of material out there that's meant to to throw people off the track and to misrepresent the actual arguments and to show, oh, these guys are a bunch of pseudoscientific quacks, just like behind behind the curve did. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 astonishing um, the battle. You would think, you know, this would have been the most interesting thing to study. We're taught boats go over the horizon in school, or I was when I was a kid, and it's like now the P nine hundred will bring it bring it back from behind the horizon. <laughs> So did it go over the horizon? Are we literally seeing around a corner? I mean, I know how you can use mirrors to see around corners, but I've never seen around a corner in my, you know, existence. And, you know, uh, so then, then it's like, okay, was it really, it's disappearing bottom up. Well, is that a, is that a byproduct of, you know, atmospheric occlusion and different kinds of refraction or a Fata Morgana mirage? Yeah product of all these things and also perspective you know and what do we know about perspective what are we talking so these are all things that instead you get the science fairs in high school where it's like okay what what are you going to do are you going to make the volcano or are you going to do the dinosaur or are you going to do something about the climate and how we're destroying the climate by how we're living uh you know it's like it's one of those usually and uh or oh or the solar model Right. You get the sun and right. the planets, and the, <laughs> the heliocentric model. So those are that's 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 the extent of our scientific method when we're when we're in high school. And none of this stuff that would really open people's minds and trigger debate and teach them cog- cognitive reasoning skills. You know, and let's go back to the trivium, <laughs> grammar, rhetoric and logic, because that's going to help you to discern liars from truth tellers, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I'll always say I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm not an expert. I'm a student of life. I'm a child who's walking into a movie. <laughs> Anybody who's like, I'm certain, like, I can tell you what I've experienced. And I'm like, you know, who knows? But uh, certainty is an illusion. It's an interesting trip we're on. And it's always fun to kind of uh, not only find um, nested groups of like-minded individuals. It seems like you, Rodrigo Rafael, like there's a certain cluster, you know, like a, a movement, I guess you could say or whatever um of people on like minds but it's also interesting to see i mean even just sociologically you were kind of um amusing about that algorithms and google and you know success versus non and all this life is a weird trip <laughs> it, it is so funny so hopefully you've been doing all right during this uh whole you know covid thing i've never met you before but i really do uh hope you come back on and shoot the shit sometime you're a smart guy uh i'll definitely be checking out your content obviously so um, mm. we, I think we did a good job of getting to know you outside of that. So we'll, when we get you back on, we'll really kind of go hard into that, maybe with other people that you want on or not, just yourself if you want a presentation or whatever. But yeah, yeah I, um, I appreciate we, you giving us your time and energy. You're cool. Uh, yeah, you're a fun Virgo. And yeah, it seems like you've uh, been doing your research, so you might as well tell us what you've been seeing. Yeah, I'll just uh, just summarize with a couple of, couple of mm-hmm. things. One is uh, I didn't... Uh, really touch on the work I did with uh, the Heartstones at all, that after I started looking at geology with new eyes, I started to recognize 
patterns in uh, a number of the stones that weren't part of the mountain, but were in the valley and in the river bottoms and in the foothills that were completely different kinds of stone. And um, I recognized a pattern there and I've done a whole bunch of videos showing the reoccurrence of these patterns and, uh, and how uh, this ties into anatomy. So these are not, not creatures that have been compressed under the seafloor and fossilized and then have revealed themselves. I'm not talking about that kind of a fossil at all. I'm talking about something totally different, which, which is literally petrified organs. And uh, I've done a, a number of videos on that topic. And we're taught in mainstream geology that that is impossible, that organs can't petrify. Uh, and I present a lot of evidence to the contrary, and people can check that out and decide for themselves if, if what I present is making any sense. Um, I, I also wanted to just say in the, the sixth video I'm working on in the next few days, I hope to be done with it, um, might, might take me as much as a week. That's touching on um, some, of, some additional findings that I haven't covered yet in the Unveiling a Titan series I made a couple of additional discoveries. And I also, uh, the critics who were, th that did have some actual criticisms about the research, I'm addressing some of those criticisms in the video as well. <clears throat> and the last thing is why the lie, right? When people start to <clears throat> get into cosmology, earth shape, geology, all these different things, the assumption is so many people couldn't have been lying for so long and if they start to be presented with information that contradicts their belief structure, a lot of times they don't bother to verify any of that information. They immediately jump to the why the lie thing, which ties into the so many people couldn't be in on the lie fallacy. And <clears throat> the why the lie question is, is interesting because if you're intellectually honest and you start to go and try and verify for yourself what you've been taught about the nature of your reality and look for things that are anomalies, to those conclusions, uh, then, then that, that gives you an opportunity to enter, in, engage in, in analysis and intellectual honesty. And if you jump straight to the why the lie, and then you throw it out because it couldn't possibly be such a big lie, then, uh, then you're never gonna start to, to spot these other things. And I think that there is an empirical reality that we're living in and the why the lie question becomes the most important question of all, uh, I think, ultimately. Um, because so that gets, might be the title of why the we're episode. Here. Why the lie? That could be a total <laughs> uh, rabbit hole in itself. Um, no, I'm glad. Uh, so you're working on some stuff. Uh, we'll put the links. Rafael, is there anything, or, or Mike, are there any kind of parting thoughts? Uh, and then we'll definitely get you back on sooner than later. Yeah, Mike, anything uh, you'd like to mention in parting? No, I think there's, we've probably got a ton of loose threads out there. Of which is great, we, which is we, great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so maybe on, on further review, somebody in the comment threads or can, can say, hey, you guys started to talk about it, but you never finished or, or something like that. We can get back to it later. But um, um, So I'm going to do this video that I'm working on now. Uh, I have some interviews like this one perhaps and, and, and others that I'll uh, start re re releasing on my channel that I haven't ever put there that I've been, uh, that I've done on other channels. There's a whole load of wild synchronicities that have happened related to the, the Heartstone research that I've done and related to um, 
just different interactions with different people. We touched on uh, you know some of those people today, but uh, other people I just, just want con to contacted me out of the blue. Yeah, my, my, I live in the Colorado Rockies. My mom is obsessed with finding heart-shaped things, clouds, whatever, and she collects rocks that are shaped like hearts. So you keep saying heartstone, and like my mom is obsessed with heart. Well, wait, do you see my heartstone research? It'll. <laughs> I might have seen it. This is ringing a bell. A couple of years ago, I might have seen it. If it's like three, five years old, mm -hmm. I might have seen this. But if it's really recent, Heartstone stuff seen. started about two years ago. That was when okay. I found the first one. Um, and I have no clue about it. Never. Mind. Yeah, and I think it's been about three years since I started working on the Unveiling a Titan series. Uh, Word. Well, we will continue to tie loose throws with you in the future, Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it'll be an adventure to check out your material and pick your brain. You're, like I said, a cogent individual with... Um, an open mind and that's about as good as it gets so props so uh i guess thank I'm you very much i feel like, the same about you guys <laughs> yeah we try we just try to be chill birds I mean, of I a feather exact Ramon. so um yeah enjoy uh spain and um hopefully when traveling and stuff starts going back around i mean i've been to europe a bunch so i'd love to go back so hopefully we meet up at some point check out some of these star forts and i'll go into a giant's eye i don't give a shit like i'll try it out yeah, uh, <laughs> very interesting star forts here yeah that's what i hear so we'll, we'll get you back on soon and yeah thank you for coming on it's nice to meet you officially and uh yeah best of did luck did you have any you. last words Raphael? just yes well i just uh i guess in summary i just say discernment is key and i'd like to thank you in particular for laying it out straight in that sense your perspective and also kind of this logical walkthrough very familiar to those that already are engaging in that practice, but it's always a great reminder and yeah, intellectual honesty, you know, and empiricism, especially I'm all for that. So I'd also just like to thank you also for all the loose threads, you know, everyone can go research for themselves. That's the entire idea. Right. And then I just thank you once again and thank everyone for listening in. Pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. It was really nice to, to talk with you guys.